0: Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 20th, 2023, including... Ubisoft Plus is now available on Xbox consoles. Halo developer 343 takes another huge loss this week. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has been heavily delayed, and more. this day in xbox history the year 2005 psychonauts came out on the original xbox 18 years ago and who could forget the first psychonauts game published by majesco rest in peace uh developed by of course now xbox owned double fine productions now this yeah this game was there was nothing like it when it came out i remember this came out still when i was young enough that i was in the the phase, the era of, like, nothing is better than the 3D character platformer type game. So, to me, this game was right up my alley. I remember my older brother was really excited about it. Dad worked for Blockbuster back in the day, so we got to rent it for free. We played many, many, uh, many minutes of Psychonauts. Many minutes. We didn't play hours. We just played minutes of Psychonauts. Although, I never really played it through to completion. I only dabbled with it. So, it was only recently I finally played the first Psychonauts game, but I remember... This is a huge one in, in in my household. I used to be exposed to this a lot. My brothers played a lot. Obviously, a game with tons of charm. Very, uh, you know, Tim Schafer. What more needs to be said? He's the um, he's the Tim Burton of the video games industry. Very uh, kind of dark and sometimes a little twisted, but also whimsical. Kind of a, a, st- a forever Halloween aesthetic with a kind of dark humor, but very 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 funny and witty great game, Psychonauts, the original. Check it out if you haven't already. Of course, now a retroactive Xbox first-party game, so if you don't love Psychonauts, you're a fake Xbox fan, and you need to go buy an Ouya or a PlayStation or one of those other brands that no one likes or cares about because we bleed green here on the Xbox On podcast. That's not true, but I will say what is true is I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to... Hopefully be reaching out to some of you guys, having you listen to the show, connecting uh, through the ether as we do each and every week here on the Xbox On podcast. Oops. Why is this window up? Let me close that. I'm not I'm not making a YouTube video. I don't need that up. All right. So guys, welcome to episode 203 of the Xbox On podcast. It's uh, it's good to be here. A couple notable releases this week. Want to just get out there because we got a first-party title release in this week. That's right. Minecraft Legends is now out. As of the time this podcast is being recorded, it actually came out on Tuesday the eighteenth. It's available on Xbox consoles, PC. But because Microsoft plays nice with uh, these indelible IP like Call of Duty and Minecraft, um, of course it's available on competitive competing platforms like Switch and PlayStation and whatnot as well. But yeah, Minecraft Legends. This is I'm very curious to play this game. I'm I'm still not a hundred percent sure what this is because I know I know it's a strategy game but you also control your character and play in like a third person's perspective so it's not just like a like textbook real-time strategy game There's like a army commanding aspect to it I don't know I'm really actually quite excited to play this game this weekend I think Minecraft's doing some really cool stuff because Minecraft's an IP I've always admired and appreciated but I just don't have the patience or the wherewithal to be creative and, and and build shit in a game is just not my thing, so the fact that I've always just had an appreciation for what Minecraft is, but haven't really been interested in playing it, um, but now we're getting these spin-off Minecraft games like Legends and and Dungeons that are absolutely my wheelhouse, this is exciting, I loved Minecraft Dungeons, I thought it was really, really great, uh, like Baby's First Diablo, but in like the most complimentary way, and I hope this game is, I don't know, in some ways, like Baby's First Halo Wars or something? I don't know. I doubt it will be. I've, I've heard it's a little complex and a little mature for what it is in terms of its mechanics and and its moment-to-moment gameplay. So it might actually be a little a little grueling for someone like me who, while an RTS fan nonetheless, is is definitely a bit of a novice. So there's Minecraft Legends. I'm excited to get into that. It looks like it's getting solid reviews. Nothing out of the ordinary or or, or nothing extraordinarily impressive, but nothing bad either just pretty pretty normal like seven seven and a half kind of reviews but i don't know i always feel the need to like mention oh this game came out it's getting good reviews but also add the disclaimer i don't really give a shit about the reviews because i'm gonna play the games i'm gonna play regardless of whether they review poorly or not Um, see my thoughts on crossfire x for more on that but nonetheless minecraft legends shout out to all the uh, nine-year-olds that are now in their 20s that still play minecraft and get to experience it new ways all right, the other big notable game of the week—not a—not a, not a first-party game, but a very, very notable game in that we've been waiting for this game. Well, this particular entry to the series is oh man, has been development hell. I think it was announced in 2014, I want to say. So it's been almost a decade since uh, this game was first teased. Um, it's been passed through many developers uh, canceled restarted internally many times before but it's finally crossed the finish line it's finally here guys dead island 2 is officially out i can't believe i'm saying it but yeah it's here it's real and apparently it's pretty solid again referring back to the reviews that i quote unquote don't care about um yeah apparently the game is surprisingly a, a pretty damn good time and it looks from what i can gather just from brief moments of gameplay and screenshots and such it looks better than Dead Island 1. I, I personally don't like Dead Island 1. I think that game actually kind of sucks. I'm really grateful that Techland went on to go create Dying Light because Dying Light is much better in my opinion. But um, obviously Dead Island 2 is very far removed from what Dead Island 1 was. You know, When you consider the fact that it was developed by like multiple teams, I think was Dambuster the most recent one? Yeah, I think Dambuster is the last one that had their hands on it. But I mean, at some point Sumo Digital was making it and... Jaeger was making it, so a lot a lot of studios have had their hands on this game, but the, the final product looks rather good, and uh, this is definitely not something I'm going to pick up, this is something I would play on Game Pass, or maybe for 20 bucks because I don't, you know, the first one I just had so little interest in, but I, I am pleasantly surprised to see that it's doing pretty well, critically, and it looks leaps and bounds better than uh, the one that preceded it, which, you know, I guess is something you should be able to say about every sequel, but not always the case, so... Shout out to Dead Island 2. I'm glad you finally made it out. Shout out to uh, Deep Silver. They've been trying to get this game out for a million years. So, hey, it's cool. Happened. Now we can put the past behind us and just accept the fact that we actually did get that Dead Island 2. I wonder what the total development cost was between all three developers and all the years it was canceled and restarted and all that such. I would love to know that final number adjusted for current inflation, what what that total development cost is, you know? So shout out to that. Some definitely some uh, notable games coming out this week. And guys, with that said, let's 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 get into the real the real kind of opening of the show, the, the actual Xbox on, you know? I don't like being so buttoned up, I don't like being so businessy, okay? What kind of Xbox podcast would this be if we just talked purely about Xbox news? We gotta mingle a little bit. I wanna see how you're doing. How was your week? You have any Taco Bell lately? Anything on your mind? What have you been dreaming about lately? I hope you're getting your eight hours. God knows you need your beauty sleep. You beautiful man, and or not man. Unfortunately, the uh, demographics show that the listenership of this podcast is overwhelmingly male. So I feel confident calling you a man. Although it's possible there is a uh, there's like a three percent chance that you are not a man. In which case, welcome. Please, for the love of God, this show needs uh, needs some more diversity in its listenership. So please, for whatever for whatever reason, if you are not a man and you are listening to this podcast, what is it I can do? Let's talk about our Activision updates of the week. You guys, we're all tired of talking about the Activision, Blizzard acquisition, Microsoft, so we just kind of skim through the latest happenings, unless it's something that is super exciting and relevant. This week, we do have some notable things to say, although nothing I think we'll dwell on for too long. So three quick little updates regarding that. Uh, Microsoft's proposed Activision uh, acquisition deal has been approved by South Africa's Competition Commission. In the statement, along with the approval, they said that they are not concerned about the possibility of Microsoft and Activision making Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox if the deal were to go through, and therefore they approved the deal with no concessions or anything needed. All right, next up, the second. Uh Update regarding this deal. Microsoft is now promoting its proposed Activision Blizzard acquisition on advertising boards across London Underground Railroad stations. Nice. As spotted by The Verge senior editor Tom Warren, the ad claims that Call of Duty will be available for 150 million more players if the proposed merger is approved. A QR code at the bottom of the ad invites players to learn more about the merger on Microsoft's website. That's kind of weird. Obviously, they are specifically targeting the UK because that's where they were facing a lot of that uphill battle with the... um, with the CMA and everything, so so no surprise there that they would try to target that market. Although it is, it's a little, eh, it's a little like uh, I don't know, I don't want to say 1984 or anything, but it's just a little unnerving when like massive tech corporations are advertising not to sell a product or not to sell you know a service or anything, but just to sell an ideology, a a perspective on a legal proceeding that you should be on team Microsoft when it comes to their desire to purchase Activision Blizzard. That just makes me a little uneasy. I don't love seeing Xbox billboards that are like, Hey, we got no games coming out because we delay all of our games and then still don't finish developing them. Um, But Hey, here's a billboard advertising an opportunity for us to blow $70 billion on Activision. So hope you're on our side. See ya. And then it probably says see ya, chaps because it's in the UK and they got to call each other chaps. Um, before they get on their trains and go to Lemmings or wherever the hell they go. I don't know. All right, and our final update regarding the Activision deal is that a U.S. Senator, this is from VGC, a, Senator, Senator, a U.S. Senator has written an open letter to Sony CEO requesting information on the company's game exclusivity deal. The North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer says he sent over a letter to Sony CEO Kenichi, Kenichiro Yoshida "Quote regarding its any competitive behaviors to the request information of the company's acquisition agreements." unquote. quote. In the letter, as reported by Axios originally, Kramer tells Yoshida that he's in writing <coughs> that sorry that he's writing to express concern about Sony's efforts to protect its gaming console business from competition. Uh, he goes on to claim, quote, I am concerned for Sony's dominance of the market and its efforts to perpetuate its current position and, and perils and important economic development opportunity for North Dakota. This is a uh, as all hell. I, I'll be honest, this is where my lack of insight on these situations really comes into play. But I don't understand what benefit or imperative any North Dakota senator might have to defend Microsoft in this stance. It's not like Microsoft is based out of North Dakota or anything, but, um, God, just, sh- dude, shut up. The fucking hand wringing about, that's anti-competitive. Like, shut up, dude. I, listen, man, I'm okay. I, I've said it before. I've come to terms with the deal. I'm okay with Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard. I'd rather them do it than than freaking Tencent or something like that. So at the end of the day, if we have to gobble up the biggest players, I'd rather be someone I trust a little more or hate a little less, like Microsoft, than someone like Tencent, but... At the end of the day, acquiring other talent and other IP instead of creating new shit, creating new jobs, creating new ideas, creating new content that's wholly original and unique. Um, not doing that, it's kind of lazy. It's kind of vapid. So I'm not going to sit here and, and platform or, like, you know, cuck out either of these two ideologies. Uh, I'm, I'm, j- I'm just trying to say it's a, it's a little cringe. The fucking, like, Bruja pro-American, like, you're being anti-competitive by... by being a market leader it's like dude sony's popular because they were there before microsoft sony's popular because they represent more markets with japanese content well before xbox had it sony's more popular because fucking it has exclusive games people care about and it didn't mismanage its most important ip uh for a million years like dude give them credit where the credit's due like sony has done some anti-competitive bullshit sure uh, but it's the same kind of anti-competitive shit that all the major players in the games industry has done. So I hate this. I don't know. I, I hate this, like, trying to act like one of these companies is a little less savory or a little holier than that. It's just it's so stupid. They're all fucking businesses just playing the game. Some are better at it than others. You know, I love Xbox. I say this as someone who predominantly plays Xbox over all other platforms. Sony's just better at what they do than Xbox is. That's why they're where they are, you know? I love Xbox because... I like the innovative nature of their of their ecosystem and how it's always been that way. I like the platform better. I'm ingratiated. I am ingrained deeply in Microsoft's ecosystem. Um, I love my profile. I love Xbox exclusives, particular particularly the ones like Halo. But I'm not going to sit here and lie to you all day and act like PlayStation hasn't done a really good job of capturing and retaining a market since the PS1 days with rare slip ups, you know, like the PS3. So I don't know, man. It's it's not. It's not anti competitive. They're just, they're just a business trying to protect their business. And uh, Microsoft's doing the same by spending $70 billion on uh, Activision. So I don't know why I'm talking about this. These are talking points we've made a million times before, so we'll drop that. We'll talk about fun stuff instead because I always get all that shit out of the way at the, at the top so that we can unbutton our, our uh, Miami, Tommy Bahama shirts and put on our sunglasses and tussle our hair a bit and say, boys, it's time for... Time for the exciting new news, the noteworthy shit, the stuff we actually want to talk about, what's going on in the world of Xbox, not pertaining to uh, cringy-ass Republican U.S. senators who don't know jack shit about video games, but more likely talking about uh, people quitting Xbox because uh, <laughs> apparently apparently they're just really mismanaging their, their staff or something. I don't know, but I, I say that because we have an update. Uh, we have an update regarding last week's Joe Staten st- uh, story. Uh, Joe Staten from... Three four three from Bungie from Xbox Game Studios. Uh, so kicking off our mildly amusing stories, updates, corrections, stories of this nature. We we start with this update for Joseph Staten, uh, the veteran, the Halo veteran, I should say, not the war veteran that plays Halo, but the veteran uh, employee of the Halo franchise, I guess. He's employed by the Halo franchise, yeah. Uh, Well, last week we learned that he was leaving not only 343, but Microsoft for good. Not just, you know, so the rumor was he's leaving 343 and going back to Microsoft. No, he's leaving Microsoft altogether. Well, now, thanks to this article from VGC, uh, we have some updated info. Joseph Staten has indeed uh, left Microsoft to go and work for Netflix. Uh, and work for the Netflix's gaming division as a creative director on original multi-platform AAA game or, as a creative director. Uh, he, Joe tweeted this past week in regards to the news. Quote, in my life, there's nothing I love more than collaborating with others to build worlds filled with iconic characters, deep mysteries, and endless adventures. So today I'm thrilled to announce I've joined Netflix Games as creative director for a brand new AAA multi-platform game and original IP. Let's go. End quote. Microsoft confirmed earlier in the month that Stan was leaving the company, uh, where he recently served as head of creative for Halo Infinite at 343 Industries. So, I mean, this is this this, can, this says a lot without saying a lot, right? You know, it's like uh, originally it was like, well, he was only doing the 343 stint, you know, as a means you know, as kind of a favor for the team as they got Halo Infinite over the finish line and into you know into the homes of of millions of gamers. Um, But we we all kind of knew Joe Stanton, you know, he's going to go back to the kind of publishing side with Xbox Game Studios once all this Halo Infinite business is finished. Uh, But that isn't what happened. Um, and, And so now that we see he's not only staying more actively involved in game development instead of the publishing aspect, but he's he's leaving Microsoft altogether to go and do it for someone else. You know, Netflix, an unproven an unproven player, really, in the gaming space. I know they own a couple of notable video game developers, and they've put some games that you can play on Netflix and things like that. But Netflix hasn't really solidified or, or built out a name for itself as far as being a major playing, player in gaming goes. And, uh, you know, getting talent like Joseph Stain can help can help change that a little bit, you know? So he's creative director of a brand-new AAA multi-platform game for for Netflix, um, so obviously, no clue as to what that is. But you know, if you got one of the guys who's so indelibly, you know, well, I guess so so intrinsically tied to the the secret sauce, the magic of of the Halo franchise, you got a guy like that working on something in a, in a, in a capacity like creative director for someone like Netflix. I think you got, you know, you got a recipe for potentially something pretty damn cool. So that's heavy talent to lose. And to know that you're losing it uh, for something so adjacently related to the thing he was just working in, tells you that he probably didn't leave because he was on great terms with Microsoft and he was super happy with how things were being done. So, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not good news. I mean, maybe you can make an argument. Well, hey, Joe's been in the industry for a long time. Maybe this is a way for him to kind of keep doing what he loves, but in a more in a more kind of you know startup and, and grassroots way. You know, maybe it's a little less overwhelming to to work for. Uh, a small initiative within a big company like Netflix's gaming division as opposed to a huge initiative in a huge company like Microsoft's gaming initiative so maybe this is a little more low-key for him but the fact that he's creative director tells me otherwise because that's a pretty involved and important role so I I don't know to me this just reads as uh, I was really fed up with the way things were being done over at Xbox at, at 343 at Microsoft and I wanted to go do this thing I love, but for someone, you know, in some place where it was more conducive, and that's kind of what I'm reading, obviously, that could be tinfoil hat reading, that could be complete conjecture, and it absolutely is complete conjecture, because I have no way to know otherwise, but that is how this reads to me, tell me if you think I'm off base, but I think that sounds about right, so... Obviously, on a personal level, happy for Joseph Staten. Hope you love this new job. I hope you find it very fulfilling. Hope whatever this game you're working on is your your best game you've worked on yet. You know, I hope this is all a great, great experience. But as for 343, as for Microsoft, as for Xbox, this is a big, big loss. And uh just another reason why... uh, I don't think Halo is going to be in great shape going into the future as it's lost basically everyone who matters, um, who who's ever worked on it. But more on that when we get to the main news, uh, unfortunately. But continuing on with some more exciting news, some more uplifting news, trying to be a little positive. VGC relays that Ubisoft will show off what's in store for their popular Division franchise uh, during a showcase this week. Actually, it will be happening the day this podcast goes live. So we're barely going to touch on this because by the time you listen to this podcast, all the news that's going to be in this event will probably have already been announced, but nonetheless. Uh, so the Division 2's five-year roadmap is going to be shown off during this stream on Thursday. Uh, they'll show the game's new Descent Mode. The presentation will include a Division Resurgence project update and a gameplay preview of Division Division Heartland. Uh, it'll be the, the stream will be available on Ubisoft's Twitch and YouTube pages um, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday the 20th so i forget which one's which i think resurgence is the mobile game they're doing for division but heartland is the new um is the new division division game that's coming to xbox and pc and all the rest so that will be cool to get to see some updates on that division is i never played division but i under from what i understand it's pretty damn good and people really like it a lot i have a feeling i'd really like division if i force myself to just give it a try nonetheless uh, it'll be good to get an update on that because this is a franchise that has seemingly just been kind of in limbo. We learned about these games a couple years ago and then really haven't seen or heard anything since. So it'll be good to get some updates, long overdue updates on what's going on with the division and hopefully put, uh, Ubisoft optically in a little bit better of a spot as they've been just not doing too well. Although it seems like this past week, they got some good press with that, um, X-Defiant beta that went live and everyone played it. And it seems like a lot of people's takeaway was, hey, this is kind of like when Call of Duty was in its prime. It's a pretty good game. So I played that game a couple times. I played the uh, X-Defiant on a couple of like uh, closed beta, alpha test build, whatever things, NDA things. Um, just because I got the, I signed up and got the code. But um, yeah, I, 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 I like that game too. And I think uh, I think Ubisoft has the potential. You know, X-Defiant seems promising. The Division's a, a beloved series that, you know, could continue to kick ass this new avatar game they got coming sounds really good so it's like they got they got some things brewing like come on ubisoft if they can just kind of string it all along together and, and pull it off just right i feel like they could have some good news um or some you know some some positive uh, momentum building for them um hopefully if only <laughs> all right next up stories of mile amusement guys let's talk about harry potter one that's getting some people a little, a little heated although surprise surprise It's Harry Potter, so I got very little uh, Fs to give or or care for here. But nonetheless, let's let's read it. Warner Bros. Games have announced Harry Potter Quidditch champions for PC and unconfirmed platforms. So we assume Xbox, but it's not confirmed. According to an FAQ on the game's website, the fast-paced, competitive multiplayer game features worlds from the most iconic magical sport. It's billed as a complete standalone Quidditch experience that engages players in the sport of Quidditch and broomstick adventures, along with friends in competitive and multiplayer settings. The game will let users create custom and create and customize their own Quidditch players, and will require an internet connection, whether playing solo or with a team. Oops, it's always online. Get rage quitting. Get rage quit. Uh, Quidditch Champions has been in development for several years at LA-based studio Unbroken Studios, which is also currently contributing to the console version of Suicide Squad: Kill the Justice League. The studio, which employs around 100 staff, previously developed the self-published mobile multiplayer shooter Fantastic Plastic Squad. And PC battle royale game, Fr- uh, Fractured Lands. Or at least date for the game has not yet been set. But Harry Potter Quidditch champion. So, uh, for those who don't know, Quidditch is in the Harry Potter universe. Quidditch is a sport. It's like their version of like football or rugby or bagminton. bagminton. What I don't know what you guys play over there in the UK, but it's basically like like a uh, wizard football. They got the little goalposts and they fly around broomsticks and they try to get the ball in the other person's picket fence. Uh, it's essentially football 5,000 feet in the air, uh, as, as far as I know. I don't think they play up that high in the air, but it's football a couple hundred feet in the air. Um, so anyway, a lot of people were upset when Hogwarts Legacy came out a few a few months ago because it didn't have a Quidditch mode, which seemed like a no-brainer for an open-world Harry Potter game. Uh, lo and behold, there's a Quidditch game coming from a separate developer under the same um, publisher. Of course, this will be WB and Portkey Games publishing this. So a lot of people are immediately just like, hey, that's kind of bullshit. You knew you had this Quidditch game coming on the on the way, so you intentionally withheld that kind of content from Hogwarts Legacy. I, I'm just here to nip that in the bud real quick. I don't know that I necessarily believe that. I, is it possible that maybe like the team at Avalanche, when they were developing Hogwarts Legacy, were like, yeah, we're working on this Quidditch thing, but you know it's not the main focus of the game. But it'll be a cool thing for players to do. And then maybe someone who's project leading at WB was like, "Don't worry about it. We got another team making a whole Quidditch game on their own right now. Um, we'll just sell. You know, we'll use this game not having Quidditch as a selling point for people to play that other game. Is it possible that something like that maybe happens somewhere along development? Yeah, maybe. I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. But I. I do not think for a second that. The developers behind Hogwarts Legacy intentionally were like, we don't have to make a Quidditch mode because this other developer is making a Quidditch Harry Potter game. That's a great idea. We can save so much time and money in development uh, strife by not doing a Quidditch mode. It's like, that's probably not how that works. I'm sure the people at um, Avalanche probably wanted to make Hogwarts Legacy as fully content-complete and fully realized as humanly possible. So if they could have easily just slapped in a Quidditch mode that was robust and really exciting and interesting, they probably would have, but, uh, you know, it's just adding another game into your game when your game is already very ambitious is not always the easiest thing to do. So my my guess is that These two things are unrelated, but I can see why people might draw the parallel, especially when this Quidditch game is being announced only months after Hogwarts Legacy came out. So I get it, but also, you know. So nonetheless, uh, Quidditch game coming out. I think this is a good move because you can kind of bill it as a arcade sports title. Um, And God knows there needs to be more competition when it comes to these kinds of games because really in the more mature modern era of gaming, the only sports styles we have are really legit sim sports games like FIFA and Madden um, or really like goofy, fun, wacky, like arcade racing games like Forza and stuff. Forza Motorsport or Need for Speed. Um, but we don't we don't I don't know. I just feel like this is a thing we used to get more often, like in the Xbox OG days would be something like a Harry Potter Quidditch game or like a freaking Spider-Man pizza delivery simulator or some shit like that. But we just I don't I feel like we don't see a lot of this. So this could be actually probably a pretty good multiplayer game for wb and i wonder if that's what they're seeing is they're trying to they're trying to get some multiplayer shit under their belt i mean you look at what they're doing with their batman games and everything making those all multiplayer games and maybe this is just an initiative that they've been trying to drive home for a while is we need more dedicated multiplayer experiences and by sectioning off quidditch and having it be more of a standalone experience maybe it's a free-to-play game we don't know yet um you know, that might be beneficial for them as they try and compete more in that multiplayer space because, after all, that's where all the retention and money is, player retention, that is. But we'll just have to keep an eye out and wait for more. We didn't even get a trailer or anything, so we don't really know much about the game or the developer. They're kind of an unknown quantity, so... We got two more stories of mild amusement. This next one... This next one kind of caught me off guard because I don't think I recognize this game, but... Yeah, from VGC, Immortals of... Avium, the first-person magic shooter from Ascendant Studios, published by EA Games, will be released this summer, it's been announced. Uh, Being developed by um, ex-Call of Duty and Dead Space Veterans, the the game will be available on PC, Xbox Series SX, on July 20th, this this summer. So, Immortals of Avium follows Jack, a battle mage who discovers that he possesses magic powers. Uh, Quote, with the newfound potential, Jack is reluctantly thrust into mankind's endless war for the control of magic. Now, after centuries of stalemate between Avium's two most powerful kingdoms, Rosharn uh, has pushed... Lucium and his allies to the brink, according to the description of the game. Based in San Rafael, California, Ascendant is an independent studio founded by CEO and game director Brett Robbins, who was creative director at Visceral Games back when they made the Dead Space games, as well as Sledgehammer, which ended up being a lot of ex-Visceral guys um, as they worked on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, Advanced Warfare, and Call of Duty World War 2. In an interview, Robbins told VGC, quote, The idea of doing magic shooter was something that just kind of we we're kicking around in the head for a long time it seems like the type of game that i'd really like to play i love fantasy games i love shooting uh, most fantasy games are more slow-paced rpg styles and that just seems to me like a missed opportunity that no one is really making anything like that so i gotta say i think i think this is a game that was announced at like i want to say the game awards like four years ago or something crazy like that if this is the game i'm remembering um we saw a teaser trailer for this a long time ago, and then, to my knowledge, we never heard of it ever again. Uh, but if this is that game I'm thinking of, then this is kind of cool, because, the, well, either way, actually, regardless. The game looks cool. The game looks badass. Um, a, a first-person, medieval, kind of magic-based shooting game, it's it's awesome. The game looks really badass. Um, it's got... You can see the Dead Space influence in some of the armor designs, actually, which is kind of funny. But the fact that it's got basically this team of guys that worked on the original dead space games and then some of the call of Duty games al'beit some of the weaker call of duty games but nonetheless you know that that immediately has my interest this game looks badass um, okay a couple things I want I want to support about this game I also love the idea of a first-person action-based medieval game that's like shootery or action like because the, absolutely like like uh exactly like uh like robin like brett robin says I, I love this idea of like you know you think about epic medieval type video games you think about things like dragon age or skyrim or or the witcher and it's like these slow pace kind of third person action games or sometimes first person but very rpg very mechanical you know very like uh, sorry very like dialogue and narrative driven heavy exploration questing type games but when do you get that like doom or halo kind of experience it's just like boom 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 dragons and, and elves and shit? Um, and I, I love the idea of trying to, you know, take that take that more action focused like military shooter or space sci-fi shooting type of deal and throw it in something that's a little more like medieval fantasy, so I think this is a super badass idea. Also, shout-out to the release date, July 20th. I mean, July 20th, it's just one of the nicest days of the year. Generally speaking, the weather is really good, uh, unless you live over in Australia where it's wintertime, in which case it might not be as good. No, all joking aside, shout-out shout, shout out for real to the, the choice of this, of this. Uh, I guess, to ea for the choice of this release date because always bitching and complaining that there are not enough games that come out during these slow summer months. You think about like the kids are out of school. It's the perfect time for them to get a new game. Uh you think about like it's it's the it's a thing that separates the busy spring video game releases with the busy fall video game releases. If you want to get an unknown unproven new IP, kind of some some FaceTime, some some kind of Spotlight time. Dude, no better time to put it out than the summer. Nobody's releasing games in June and July, so especially July. I feel like July is probably the month that we see the fewest notable game releases, so for them to choose July 20th as a release date for this game, super awesome. Puts it before Starfield, puts it before Spider-Man, and uh, shortly after Diablo and things like that, so it kind of gives it its breathing room if we're looking at like the big games coming out this summer slash fall, early fall. Um, kind of pits in this nice little... Uh, corner of the of the year where it doesn't really have a whole lot it's, it's contending with so we'll no doubt get a lot of eyes and ears with people just being kind of eager to play something different with there not being any notable releases around that time of year so that's a huge plus I think as well and the game just looks so badass so I don't know I I, I think this is the game I'm, I'm misremembering from the game awards like I want to say 2018 maybe even this might have even been before I moved to Florida it's, it's, it's been a while since we've seen this thing uh, but yeah, this game looks fucking badass. It's the, 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 the first-person view, and they're doing the swooshy this and that, like Doctor Strange with their hands and making blue and red energy beams pop out, and they're blasting through enemies like they're fucking Iron Man and, and, and Skyrim at the same goddamn time, and they got the energy whip, and it's fucking cool, dude. The game looks badass, and I think I'm sold on this. Uh, you know, with 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 characterization of, of, of a game, you know, on this audio-only podcast... With uh, descriptors and characterization as cool and badass and fucking awesome and different. I mean, how could you not be excited? I mean, that, 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 how many games do we get to say that about, you know? So, nonetheless, I'm very much, go- I'm going from didn't know this was a thing to very excited for this game. Um, yeah, put this high on the list. Shout out to EA doing something different. I like, I like it when we get to see the big publishers. Do something original, original IP, um, different kind of game, different genre. You know, with uh, considering Wild Hearts came out, you know, earlier this year, this is the second time EA has surprised us this year with like, hey, we're putting our 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 money and our weight behind a big AAA esque, you know, you know, I guess multi platform, brand new IP, new 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 something. You know, it's not a Marvel game, it's not a star wars game it's not a freaking sequel to a million games it's not a remake of an old game it's a brand new idea brand new game and that shit is exciting it should always be applauded it should always be given its due so ea shout out to you for doing something cool while Activision sits there in the corner and just makes more call of duty even though i love it um so yeah this game looks pretty pretty badass immortals of avium pretty dumb name but who cares the game looks cool Alright, our final story of Mild Amusement this week comes from VGC, and it is that Obsidian game designer Josh Sawyer has shared new info on the cancelled Aliens RPG game he was working on in the late 20, uh, 2000s. Replying to a tweet asking developers uh, what their One That Got Away game was, Sawyer was shared some concept art from his game, which was announced uh, from Sega back in 2006. It was known at the time as Aliens Crucible. Quote, I got to work on Aliens RPG for Sega from 2006 to 09, so you're called. Obsidian didn't have a director at the time, just leads who were all considered peers. It's, it resulted in a lot of dysfunction when the leads didn't agree on how to do something. Progress on the game was very slow, especially when it came to creating workable game levels. Uh, we had another in development in Sega at the time. Alpha Protocol, which Sega, understandably, in my opinion, shelved Aliens for in favor of Alpha Protocol. There were a lot of cool ideas in the works but you don't ship ideas. The biggest lesson I learned from my experience is that you don't if you don't have playable levels, you don't have much of a game and there are some exceptions of course. And quote, Sawyer noted back or sorry that 2021's Aliens Fireteam Elite has similar structure to what he is planning on doing with the game and that he was glad to see it making its release. Quote, I'm happy to see Aliens Fireteam Elite because overall the setup was similar. Small team, third person, emphasis on deployable support actions, similar um, The similarities ended there, but it was nice to see that the idea could actually be fun in practice. Sega announced Obsidian was working on an Aliens game back in 06. At the time, it was said that the game, which was headed to PC, Xbox 360, and PS3, would build upon the distinctive look and feel of the original films while utilizing next-gen technology to create entirely different, unique Alien experiences. So, you know, just want to say, obviously, Obsidian, now one of Xbox's core first-party teams uh josh sawyer always gotten some good juicy content kind of you know um scoops i I guess you want to say to talk about some some failed projects some what if scenarios always always some fun hypotheticals with this guy the only thing i mean obviously it's like you can go online and look at the the concept art and if you're a big fan of aliens maybe just mourn a little bit the fact that this game never came to fruition but my big takeaway from this is just kind of him saying like you know at the time we didn't really have a you know a lead we just had a bunch of peers that kind of didn't agree on things and we're all of an equal kind of status and level in terms of where they would continue on with the game development from whatever point they were at and it's it's funny because there's like a little bit of a a microcosm of of the Xbox situation happening here where we talk about obsidian 15 years ago or whatever it was kind of having issues where they they had leadership issues where they needed someone to kind of step up and be like, hey, I, I'm the I'm the final you know the 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 final decision on kind of this or that and you know how this game progresses or develops or comes together is is dependent on having a leader in place whose job it is is to make final decisions and steer the ship so to speak and how that you know not really having that at the time was hard for Obsidian and resulted in this potentially really cool aliens game never coming to fruition and it's funny because you fast forward to today and. Obsidian is not only just a really well-oiled machine in terms of the Xbox first party, because that's not saying much for an Xbox first party developer to be able to make a game in under 40 years that's content complete is staggering outside of forts at this point, it seems. But Obsidian is, you know, they're very good at it, not just by Xbox standards, but by most game developer standards. I would say Obsidian is kind of like how insomniac is for playstation at this point where it's like they just they always got something new it's like right when you think well they just released this and this they're probably going to lay low for a while it's like nope they're also working on this and this it's like we already knew about avowed but now they're talking about outer worlds 2 but also they're going to eke out this little small project because we got pentiment and also uh did you guys know our game grounded is growing like crazy and it's apparently a really good game and you know people are playing it and we're- continue to invest in it. It's just, Obsidian's always got, they always got stuff coming in the pipeline. So uh, clearly they learned their lesson. They learned how to tighten up and operate a little more efficiently because like I said, not only by Xbox standards, which isn't all that impressive, are they really good at just kind of having a good production pipeline? But just by, by way of most developers, because you look around the industry and most games, you know, games are just really hard to develop. Games are way over- way overdeveloped, I would say, in the sense that there's this unnecessary pressure for every developer to make either the most expansive, robust, open-world, narrative-driven, 100-hour-long experience you've ever had, or this uh, this incentive or this drive in the industry to create the next games as a service that you won't be able to put down for five years. And those are like the only two types of games we really get. Obsidian is one of those developers that understands that both of those you know both of those ideas while you know while meritable and worth a damn because obviously we can all think of great games that are epic open world long narrative driven games or or awesome games as a service type games uh, we also know that there's a lot of value in other types of games that aren't those two categories and obsidian excels in really making great games you know you think about like Outer Worlds or Fallout New Vegas like these are obviously open world narrative driven third person rpg type games but they're not just, like, so expansive to the point where your head rolls. It's not... I don't need it to be, like, cyberpunk asking for 400 hours of my life just to kind of see it all. You know, you can have a lot of fun in these games and play them extensively and then move on with life and... Um I think Obsidian is really good at that, but they're also really good at making the small little indie game or the or the little passion project, and they can do the more games as a service type thing with something like Grounded, but do it effectively and efficiently where it doesn't take the whole team away from doing other projects. And I just think Obsidian is a really great kind of uh, kind of case study in the industry of like how it can be done, right? And God, I, I I hope so badly more than more than buying Activision and getting the insight of you know because Activision's really well run too. I know people like to shit on Activision because they make Call of Duty all the time, but like they they got to be a well oiled machine to be able to consistently put out games the way they do on an annual basis. So you know, obviously Xbox hopes to get a lot of that kind of insight in in skill and talent and experience from Activision Blizzard, but. Yo, know, you don't gotta spend sixty nine billion dollars to get that expertise. You can just look internally to Obsidian and get it right there because Obsidian just they just kind of know how to do it. They they know what they're doing. They they're excellent at at just kind of self sustaining and doing their little business and coming up with great game after great game. And they just they're on a roll. And uh, so I guess that's kind of my takeaway. Although I guess it should be more about. The fact that there was, hey, there was an Aliens game that never came to fruition from from Obsidian. Eh, I don't care about that. This is the, the more interesting and relevant um, part of the story for me, at least. But, uh, yeah, no, nonetheless, I was always looking for a way to prop up Obsidian and just kind of give them a, a round of applause because I, I really do think they're an excellent team. Definitely one of the best acquisitions, you know. C- keep, keep in mind, I, I know I sound so negative all the time, especially because it's like Activision Blizzard stuff. For a while there, I really was a fan of Xbox's approach to how they were acquiring teams because remember Phil Spencer talked about teams where it makes sense for Xbox, where it's like they have that history together and all these things. Like I think Obsidian and In Exile and even even Bethesda, dude. It's like I love these acquisitions because it's like yeah, these are natural fits for Xbox. You look back and it's like like bethesda it's like they were always on pc windows pc microsoft and then when they finally came to console they had a really close relationship and partnership with xbox and that was kind of the only way they were there we look at obsidian it's like same thing like all these teams were they were on like they were like windows pc games or xbox games when they started coming to console or they worked very closely double fine of course worked very closely with xbox especially in the 360 game days they had a lot of second party exclusives and things like that so i love this idea of like yeah like doom that that's an ip that makes so much sense as an xbox ip you know uh, bethesda uh, id obsidian all, all double fine all these teams it's like yeah these are really really intelligent acquisitions i think that will really bolster the xbox brand and, and really round out the first party and then you look at today and it's just like yeah we bought fucking candy crush saga because nothing says master chief more than three in a row baby uh, but I, I i get it at the end of the day it's a profit-driven company surprise surprise but i don't know i always want to give out you know the shout out um, especially with obsidian i think obsidian is probably honestly and i don't even think this is like kind of a, a ballsy thing to say i i think obsidian in the in the modern xbox era i guess we'll say the phil spencer onward era i would say that i, I would wager that obsidian is the most the most sound and wise investment that Xbox has made uh, in in Phil Spencer's years, I would say. You know, obviously, if we're talking about purely what's going to bring in the most money, it's like, well, yeah, whatever. I guess we can get into Bethesda or Blizzard or some shit like that. But if we're talking about like a studio that just can help really bolster Xbox and really help, you know, create a great image and create great content for the uh, ecosystem, Obsidian is such a such a good get. And I don't know, I'm, I always love these guys. Just always want to give a shout out to our boys over at Obsidian. So, guys, that's it for our stories of Mild Amusement. I guess at this point we can uh, kind of get on with the shows we normally would. You know, we talk about the main news, but first we talk about the games I've been playing this week. I got some, some new stuff to talk about, but hold your horses. I don't want to just talk about that. First, I want to talk about, you know, before I can talk about the games I've been playing, I want to tell you about the food I've been eating, what I've been eating, because how could you tell one without the other? Guys, guys. Little quick deterrent, little, not deterrent, detour. Little quick detour. I got to tell you about what's going on in the ice cream land. Now, as you guys know, I doubt you know, but as you now know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not usually a big ice cream person. I'm not always like craving ice cream or nothing. But listen, man, over at the Disney Springs, Disney Springs It's the place where you can shop, dine, eat, and be entertained all for free at the Walt Disney World Resort, except you got to pay for the food and entertainment. But to go there and park there, it's free, okay? At Disney World, Downtown Disney, Disney Springs. They got the ice cream, I forget what it's called. There's some kind of ice cream stand, whatever. It's Disney operated, it's got ice cream. But the reason why we're talking about this is because they just recently introduced a new flavor of ice cream. That is my personal favorite ice cream that you might say, and I'll tell you what the flavor is, hold your horses. You might say, Jesse, that is such a childish favorite ice cream flavor. You're not supposed to be borderline 30 years old and prefer this ice cream flavor over all else. But I'm here to say, fuck you, sit back down, buckle up if you're in the car without a seatbelt on, you dumb idiot. But I, I got to tell you, man, I don't care. Have, have my taste buds changed and evolved and I can enjoy ice cream with nuts in it or, you know, ice cream with nuts in it or ice cream with nuts in it or cherries or other boring adult things? Yes, I have grown to appreciate the sherbets and the sorbets and the nuts and the cherries and all the rest, the fruitier kind of ice creams i can appreciate all that you know i can do the rocky roads even whatever the case may be but in my heart of hearts i will always forever uh be a cotton candy ice cream man and i don't really care if it's embarrassing to see a bearded 28 year old man walking around disney world with a cotton candy blue ice cream in his hands because they got this new i don't even remember what this ice cream stand is called it's called like swirls on the water or something like that i don't give a shit But it's a new cotton candy ice cream where it's cotton candy soft serve mixed with, swirled with raspberry Dole Whip. For those who don't know what Dole Whip is, real quick crash course, Dole Whip is Dole Pineapple, the Dole Pineapple Company uh, they make a they make a Dole Whip. It's like a soft serve ice cream treat. Although I think it's dairy free. Um, it's a famous Disneyland treat from back in the day. That of course made its way over to Disney World. It's you know whatever. It's 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 Dole Whip. It's it's basically pineapple um, soft serve type dairy treat, almost like ice cream. It's really really good. It's one of those like iconic Disney treats that everyone's familiar with and everyone knows it loves. Well, in recent years, Dole and Disney have been adding more and more flavors. It used to be that you could only get non-classic Dole Whip flavors in Hawaii at like Dole's factory or some shit like that. They had like a raspberry and a strawberry and a a mango and all these things. Well, they're starting to bring those flavors over to Disney in recent years. And this is one of the places where you can get a different flavor of Dole Whip. So you get half, it's, it's raspberry Dole Whip mixed, swirled with cotton candy soft serve. And baby, oh baby, oh baby, it's so good. It's so good. It's really good. In fact, it's too good. I was worried that the cotton candy would have too much of that kind of like fake cotton candy flavor. I don't know what real cotton candy tastes like since it's already an artificial flavor, but you know, it tastes like super creamy, super rich and super full. It's not like that kind of cotton candy where it's like I'm eating vanilla ice cream with a hint of cotton candy, or I'm eating a cotton candy ice cream, but you could have fooled me and told me it was like fucking bubble gum or something. I can't tell. This is legit cotton candy ice cream, one of the best flavors, Definitely the best ice cream flavor. Suck it, unless you're talking about Ben & Jerry's Fish Food, which is also excellent. But, yeah, it's really, really good stuff. And it just, it just kind of reminded me. kicked it off in my head. I really do love cotton candy ice cream, but... I find that it's kind of difficult to find these days. I feel like not a lot of places still do cotton candy ice cream, and a lot of times cotton candy flavors are not very good, especially if we're talking about like store-bought ice cream, like in the freezer ice cream aisle of a grocery store. Don't even don't even try for some cotton candy ice cream. I don't think any of those grocery store ice cream brands have a half-decent cotton candy ice cream, so like don't even think about that. The one that did it the best, and I don't even know if this chain is still around, it's the ice cream chain Brewster's, Um, I don't know where, I don't know if they're in all 50 states or if they operate regionally. Growing up in Georgia, we always had Brewster's everywhere. There was a Brewster's every couple miles. It was a great, great little ice cream shack spot. Um, but as I got older, especially like my high school years and stuff, I feel like every Brewster's ice cream started to close down. There aren't very many left, at least where I'm from. And here in Florida, I don't think we have any Brewster's. We have, we have a local chain here called Twisty Treat, and it's fucking awesome. Um all the little ice cream stands are shaped like an ice cream cone and all their flavors are awesome and it's like the last beacon of value everything there is super cheap and delicious um shout out to twisty tree but i don't know if they have a cotton candy and if they do i've never had it i've only been to twisty Treat a handful of times they have a really good pina colada ice cream but yeah it's just i guess what i'm trying to say is just cotton candy ice cream i feel like two issues with it it's not very present these days i feel like it was way easier to find when i was a kid Number two, not many places do it right, but shout out to Disney because they're doing it right. So if you're in the Orlando area, you don't want to spend $200 to get into Magic Kingdom or wherever the case may be. Go to Disney Springs. It's absolutely free to park there and go there. Head over to, what is it called? Swirls on the Water. I'm going to pull this up, but dude, get their fucking cotton candy ice cream. It's so good. It's mixed with Dole Whip, raspberry Dole Whip, which is a really nice complimentary Oh my God! It is called swirls on the water. There's something fundamentally fucked about me that I subconsciously just know the name of every food cart at Disney World. That's a that's a pro for people who haven't been to Disney World. That's like that's like hundreds of food carts. That's a pro- that's a problem. That's something to be proud of. Anyway, so shout out to the cotton candy ice cream. And I ask you, the audience now, I ask for your participation. What is your favorite? Uh, ice cream flavor and if and if you're commenting in not to tell me about your favorite ice cream flavor, but rather to try and flame me for loving cotton candy ice cream at my age, um, go ahead, leave the comment, but it's not gonna work. I am so secure in my love of cotton candy ice cream at this point in my life that nothing you could say would uh, penetrate the hard shell that is my my love of cotton candy ice cream. So fuck you. hope you're having a great day. Let me know what your favorite ice cream is. God bless kisses on both cheeks. Alright guys, let's talk about the games I've been playing, because that's it for what I've been eating, and it's nourished me so much that's given me a chance to want to tell you about what I've been playing, and to that effect I gotta say Ghostwire Tokyo. Ghostwire Tokyo. Ghostwire Tokyo. Ghostwire Tokyo is the game I've been playing. So it finally came to Xbox last week. I've been really looking forward to this game since it was announced, since before it was even going to be a PlayStation exclusive back when we thought it would always be a multi-platform game before Microsoft bought Bethesda and everything. Um I think this game looks really interesting. And I just love the art style and the aesthetic of this game, but I got to be honest. 2 hours in, not even. I'm I'm like maybe an hour and 45 minutes into the game. I got to say this game has so far failed to really capture my attention. I think the world is beautiful. The way like motion in this game works, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just kind of like the way the camera pans and motion appears in this game is just I don't know, the way the lighting system in the game works. It's this very dark world with very interesting lighting. It's a very aesthetically pleasing game. I really, really appreciate this game. But a couple of things. This game, it makes me happy because it's it's very narrative-driven and it's very linear despite being a kind of open-world experience. And those things make me very happy. I want all of that. Like, that's very much me. But the moment-to-moment action using kind of like the the different, like, first-person, like, spell technique whatever it is ghost fighting abilities you're using i find it a little a little basic it's just not it's not particularly compelling this combat system and so i don't know i'm just kind of meandering around through objective to objective not super invested in the premise of this game or the characters or what's going on although i acknowledge it's very creative and interesting it's just not you know it's like it is an interesting premise but it is not currently interesting me um, if that makes sense, so I'm gonna stick with this game for a little more. Uh, I think I'll play it through the w- this weekend uh, because it, it it's. Let me know if this makes sense to you. I feel like I feel like we can all relate to this. It's one of those games where if I had to review the game right now or recommend the game right now, I would say I don't know how I feel about it. I don't really think it's gonna be for me, but I also am invested enough in it to where I could see. I could see how like the right state of mind, the right play session, um, seeing the right part of the game might completely flip the script around to where, you know, by hour three or something, the game hooks me and then I enjoy it from the rest of the game and then come back saying "Ghostwire Tokyo is excellent. It's a really good game. I highly recommend it. It's just I'm at that point where I just haven't gotten enough of a reading on the game yet and I could see it kind of going either way. So Not much to say on it yet, just because I haven't spent too much time with it. I've just been very busy this week with some um, potentially good things coming up that may or may not happen that have just completely derailed my weekend in in taking me away from um, video games and things like leisurely activities. So that's really all I was playing. Uh, I tried to play the X Defiant beta this weekend, even though I had it downloaded and readied up and everything. It just wasn't working on my Xbox. So I didn't end up playing that anymore, but I have played that a couple other times during some of the other betas. I enjoy that game a little bit, I still like Call of Duty way more, but X Defiant seems like it's shaping up to be a pretty solid game, I just wish they would change the name, since the name is pretty bad, but it seems like the game is getting pretty serious, like we might finally learn about when it's actually coming out, which would be great, because the game's been known about for like 3 or 4 years at this point. Um, Other than that, I also started Tron Identity, but I'm barely anywhere in that as well, I'm playing that on Steam, it's not on Xbox, so it doesn't really count as an Xbox game, but very very interested for a graphic novel Tron game. I know I'm going to like this game a lot. I just haven't again had a, much of a chance to really get into it, but uh opening just the opening 10 minutes alone had me like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be good." I'm really excited for this. But I don't have anything to say on that as well. So, unfortunately, just a little a little flat on its face with the, what I've been playing this this uh this weekend, but you know, the girlfriend's going out of town this weekend. She's going to go she's going to go out of town, so I'm going to be alone, which is going to give me ample opportunity to either play tons and tons and tons of video games with no recourse whatsoever or spend tons and tons of time at Disney World without feeling like I need to be at home so I don't know which way it's going to go we'll see but um you know depending on how that pans out I might be spending a lot of time playing video games this weekend in which case next week oh boy me chatting on and on and on about all the games I've been playing I've been playing a little bit of Persona 5 I've been playing Ten- Tomagachi, Tensei Na- Nachi. Uh, it's it's all good though, so that's it for what I've been playing guys a little anticlimactic, but nonetheless Oh, I did want to mention on Ghostwire Tokyo uh, Just I, I made a little note here on my on my on my note sheet to bring this up apparently The game is having some performance issues on Xbox. Um, I haven't noticed it yet. I I think the frame rates a little a little worse, but it is one of those games where despite it being a first-person action game it is overall a slower paced game in terms of its moment to moment it's kind of like you know like skyrim like skyrim is a first person combat game but it's combat slow so that's kind of how tokyo, uh, ghostwire tokyo feels to me a little bit so i haven't really noticed if it's frame rate or resolution issues but according to digital foundry the game is definitely running worse on xbox than it did on ps5 and Again, this kind of goes back to what we were saying about Redfall last week. It's like it's unacceptable, man. It's like what what are you doing, man? This is your first party output. You got you got to get it right. You cannot be, you cannot be, can't be putting out stuff like this. You know, what is that? What signal does that send to your partners and to your consumers when you're saying we got the most powerful console in the world? We're going to make the best, most gra- like uh, groundbreaking game experiences for our players, and then. Your game is developed by your own teams that you own that are a reflection of your first party output, you know, or just not up to snuff with performance and everything. And I don't know. I feel like we'll get back to that conversation with Redfall maybe a little later. So we'll leave it at that. But yeah, man. But that's it, guys, for all of our opening stuff, all of our preamble, all of our what I've been playing and small news stories. Let's get into the real news, the actual news, the big, juicy bits of info to get into this week. And, Take a quick break and then, you know, chug them out and do and get right back to it, guys. So see you in just a second. Okay, welcome back. Let's get into the news, guys. Talking first about big story, but it's something that broke right after last week's episode went live. So it might sound a little dated to you now, especially if you listen to other Xbox podcasts. You probably already heard the story, but all right. Ubisoft Plus, yes, after many months of rumors and such is it's finally here. It's happening. Ubisoft Plus is being added to Xbox consoles, not added as an included or anything like that, but it's now option. It's now, it is now available on Xbox console. So, Xbox users can join the service via the Ubisoft Plus multi access plan, priced at $18 a month US. It lets users access over 100 games on PC and a selection of titles, curate selection of t- titles via Xbox consoles and Amazon's Luna Cloud Gaming Service. Ubisoft Plus offers Ubisoft's biggest titles on day one as part of its service. Subscribers also receive a discount on virtual currency packs within select games. Quote, partnering with Xbox to launch Ubisoft plus multi-access on Xbox consoles enhances our subscription offerings by providing more value to choices to our players. Said Ubisoft senior VP of strategic partnerships and business development, Chris early, Xbox console players now have access to our world through Ubisoft's extensive gaming library. Like us, Ubisoft strives to bring more games to more people. And today we're accelerating our efforts together. This is, Xbox's Sarah Bond, Corporate VP of Creative Experiences Ecosystems at Microsoft. She continues by saying, By launching Ubisoft Plus on Xbox, we're presenting Xbox console players, another vibrant catalog to explore uh, by subscription. Originally launched for PC as Uplay Plus in September of 2019, the basic Ubisoft Plus plan now offers access to 100 Ubisoft titles, including new games and DLC at launch from $14.99 a month so the Xbox version will give you will make it $18.99 um, or $17.99 a month it gives you hundred over 100 games on PC and a selection of titles on Xbox and Amazon Luna so the list is a little more curated for Xbox just to read you a little bit of like some of what you can expect so it's every latest Ubisoft game as they release as long as well as their DLC when they release they're in the service so that's a huge plus it's really what you're paying for but the back catalog the content that's already there when you sign up on Xbox right Now You offer basically all your Assassin's Creed games, you got all your Far Cry games, you got For Honor, all your Ghost Recon games, well, all your newer Ghost Recon games, Wildlands and Breakpoint, you got your Rabbids games like Party of Legends and invasion and all that shit. Uh, You got your more recent Rainbow Six games like Siege and Extraction. Uh, You got Rayman Legends. You got Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. You got the South Park games. You got Starlink Battle for Atlas. Shout out. The game's awesome. You got The Crew 1 and 2. You got Trackmania. You got Trials of Blood Dragon. You got Watch Dogs games. You got Zombie uh, Valiant Hearts. So, you know... (laughs) Here's the thing is it's like it's a good list of games like there's a lot of good games I just named there but all of these games have been on like Ubisoft publisher sales on Xbox on and off for like a many 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 years. So at this point you've had an opportunity to play all these games for any price range between zero and 15 bucks you know these games have been available dirt cheap so many of them are so old that you've no doubt played you know a good chunk of them. So really what is the the big selling point here? It's 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 that Ubisoft games, when they come out day and date, are available in the service, as well as DLC expansions and such like that. The problem is Ubisoft is having a bit of an issue. They're a little gunked up with the release schedule right now. So there is no, you know, Ubisoft game to to play right now. And there is no no like confident stream of titles that we're looking forward to other than really other than Avatar and maybe X Define if they ever put a date on it so it's tough because I know a lot of people are looking at this and like is this service worth it and they're coming back and saying no. I mean, think about it. On Xbox, to have this service, you're going to pay 18 bucks a month. Game Pass is $10 a month. You know, maybe, yes, maybe you're paying 15 bucks a month because you got Game Pass Ultimate because that's your Xbox Live subscription with your Game Pass Ultimate. But even that, at 15 bucks a month, it's still $3 cheaper. And it's a way better service. It allows you to play online games on your Xbox. It gives you access to a way better, more robust, more consistently curated list of games. And it also it also gets you cloud streaming and PC and all that stuff. So it's it's kind of a tough comparison sell. So I, I think from Microsoft's standpoint, the idea of having the subscription on Xbox it's it's a high tide raises all boats kind of kind of deal where they're like, yeah, I mean, this doesn't really compete with Game Pass at all. We know Game Pass is the better value, it's the better service, it's the one more people will be interested in, so no one's going to choose this over Game Pass. This is really just like a, another supplemental thing, you know? It's like, uh, I don't know, it's I'm trying to think of a... Uh, never mind, let me pull back that example. It's just, obviously, it's, just a, it's, it's a good deal, or, or it's a good idea for Xbox to be supportive of something like this, because you know you have the better product, and by having more subscriptions like this available to your consumers on Xbox, you're just training your market more and more to be invested in these subscription services. And if that's the future Xbox wants to go in, which we know it is, then that's kind of what you want is is to to ingratiate more and more of your player base with these various subscription services. And that's how you're going to grow game pass. So the whole like, would Microsoft allow something? I can't believe Microsoft would allow this on Xbox. That doesn't surprise me one bit. I don't think they see this as a threat or serious competition. I think they see this as a complimentary thing, a thing that kind of bolsters and full further justifies it really underlines the value of Game Pass and invalidates its existence in the first place. So from that perspective, I think it's a non-issue. Uh, I, I see this more from Ubisoft's standpoint where it's like, so w- what do you guys want out of this? Because now I'm wondering, like, well, you know, when they finally do have a game worth playing, like when that Avatar game comes out, like, I'm interested in playing it. I think that Avatar game looks quite good. So when that game comes out, you know, why would I – not just subscribe to Ubisoft Plus for one month, play the game for 18 bucks instead of going out and buying the game for $70. Like, what is to stop me from doing that? Because, you know, then you can just end your subscription after that one month because the service is kind of lackluster otherwise. The problem is, I don't think any of these services, and you see this with EA, EA Play as well, and EA works because. It's including Game Pass now, but you see the same thing with them. EA Play was a little bit better because it was a lot cheaper and it also gave you discounts on on games you want to purchase. But Ubisoft Plus is still kind of a similar thing where it's like you can't really support one of these subscription services by just having access to one publisher's catalog because I don't think any one publisher has... Enough games. In fact, there is only one publisher that really does, and it's Nintendo. And they have a service like this through their Switch Online thing, and that's that's really the only one that works. And even that was a little rough for a while. Now it's getting pretty good and robust. They got some Game Boy Advance games, I believe. They got a lot of N sixty four shit. So whatever, that that's all good and great for them. But you know, EA, even if Activision were to do something like this, Ubisoft, it's like who wants to pay eighteen dollars a month for access to just Ubisoft's catalog? It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. The reason why Game Pass works is because in between all the awesome first party Xbox titles you get, you know, the Halos, the Forces, et cetera, you also get a ton of content from third parties and from Indies and all that. So you get such a gamut. The thing about Game Pass is not only is it a better price, but it offers more features and benefits. But the games catalog is more frequent, more curated, more diverse. It gives you a little something of everything. So there's always something different to try. It's not all locked into one flavor with just one publisher's games. And so it's just, it's it's the way it's got to be, you know? It's like, I don't know, why do people still like Netflix? Because Netflix has a bunch of original programming, but it also has a bunch of other stuff. So it's like Netflix has so much variety, even, you know, I say that as someone who hates Netflix. Um, But, you know, why is it a little harder for someone to stomach doing something like Disney Plus or... or or apple tv or whatever it's because it's a little more niche it's a little more you know they got fewer options maybe like a i don't know maybe like a hbo max or something like that where it's like there's just fewer offerings peacock something like that whereas hulu netflix these ones are a little more like yeah we got so much shit we got so much shit from all these different studios all these different production companies and you know game pass has a lot of like a netflix appeal to it whereas ubisoft plus i mean i don't even know where that falls in the list because i don't know if we TV streaming has an, a, you know, a, a, a an analog that is as equally un- uninteresting a value. Maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe Paramount Plus because Paramount Plus is so painfully lame. I don't know. But you know, it's I appreciate Ubisoft for trying something different for trying to see if this market could work for them, but. I feel like they're not a big enough company to sustain a subscription service like this. They wouldn't want to have mass adoption. I assume that's probably why they're a little pricier is because they don't want an overwhelming majority of people to jump into this service over buying their games. But I wonder what they think they're going to get out of this or what they try are trying to get out of this by even doing this service in the, in the first place because they're not stupid. They got to know $18 a month. Why would someone pick this over Game Pass? You know, I mean, I, of course, they want you to pick this in addition to Game Pass, but why would someone do that? It's more expensive than Game Pass, has far less games, only one publisher, and it's just, it, it, the value is just not there. Way fewer features, no cloud streaming or anything like that. So I just wonder, there's got to be some ulterior motive. There's got to be something that Ubisoft thinks that they can get out of being in this marketplace and testing this ecosystem system because at the end of the day I I feel like what would be best for Ubisoft to do as opposed to having a Ubisoft Plus would be to sell their games a la carte, like most most publishers do, and then to have a good relationship with Xbox, where it's like, yeah, every once in a blue moon, we throw this game on Game Pass, or that game on Game Pass, and, and take the chunk of money from Xbox, and we know they did a day one Game Pass deal with you with Rainbow Six Extraction, and, uh, you know, I'd be curious to know how that went for them, and what they, what they got out of that, but I feel like this is more of like a, a hunt for data and experience, more than it is like a genuine service and product that they're trying to send out there to the market to try and penetrate a large audience and learn, you know, and and compete with the likes of Game Pass over. I really don't see at this price point with what they're offering. I don't see how we're supposed to believe that they think that this is going to be a serious offering or serious, seriously competitive, competitive and tempting option for many players. It's pretty niche at that price point. So I don't know, man, I, I, I I could see how this could hurt their bottom line with people just subscribing, playing the latest game and unsubscribing after a month. But at the same time, I mean, Seems like people just want subscriptions, <laughs> so I don't, I, I can't necessarily blame them for thinking that this is something that they got to try their hand at. I just, I just don't think Ubisoft is the publisher, and I don't think they have the output to support this business model. I think ultimately this is going to end up going away. <laughs> while, while it lasts, yeah, you no, know, glad it's here. I hope people like it, and enjoy it, but I do, I just don't see this thing lasting. I I will certainly not be subscribing to this. And I assume an overwhelming majority of people will probably also not be subscribing. Whereas Game Pass, you'd be fucking stupid not to subscribe to Game Pass if you're on Xbox. So very, very different products. Even though similar business model, but hey, more options are more options. So that's uh, that's putting players at the center of the universe and all that good shit. So more more stuff, right? All right, next up, let's 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 circle back to that three four three Halo people leaving kind of thing because we got another departure from three four three. Halo's veteran, fr- or sorry, Halo's franchise director Frank O'Connor has officially left Microsoft. Spotted by Windows Central, O'Connor's LinkedIn page was recently updated to state that his role as creative director at Xbox's flagship shooter series had ended this month. Shortly after, Microsoft confirmed with the following announcement: "Quote: We thank Frank for numerous contributions to Halo over the years and wish him uh, well going forward." The company's spokesperson said. LinkedIn. His LinkedIn page also lists him as starting a new full-time role as a franchise creative director elsewhere in March. O'Connor has worked on the Halo series since 2004. For those who don't remember, that's the year Halo 2 came out. He was a writer and community manager at Bungie until the the studio split from Microsoft to make Destiny when he chose to join the Xbox Maker and work on the new Halo with 343 Industries, which would go on to be Halo 4. Uh, His exit is the latest in a recent series of high-level departures for the Halo team. Among others, last year, 343 Industries lost multiplayer creative director Tom French, its directive engineer, Ben sorry, its director of engineering, David Berger, and art director Nicholas Bouvier. Uh, heading into design, uh Jerry Hook, he left, uh, lead multiplayer designer, he left. Uh Andrew Witz, and of course Bonnie Ross, who's the studio head of 343 for 15 years. She left last year as well, although as we understand it, as for personal family reasons, not for anything else. So, okay, we, we've talked about this a lot, so I'll try to keep it brief, because I don't want to be obnoxious. This is this is devastating, man. At this point, 343 has lost so many people that, that truly, truly are integral to the 343 Halo experience that we're coming uh, the the WandaVision thing, right? The ship of Theseus, the uh, the Greek, mythical Greek ship of Theseus, uh, paradox, where you know, if you replace parts of the ship time and time again over time, you rebuild the ship. At what point is it ever really the ship it, it ever was? You know, you can't quantify, you know, something as be as as its its existence or its beingness, uh, being of the original source when so much of the ship has been rebuilt time and time again. And here's the thing: is three four three was the heart and the home of Halo. Uh, I, I truly believe this. I know a lot of people like to give 343 shit. Just for the record, in case there's anyone new listening to the podcast and they haven't heard me rant about this in the past, 343 is just as much Halo as Bungie is. You don't have to like the changes they made with Halo's 4 and 5. You don't have to like the art style changes made with Halo's 4 and 5. There's a lot of things you don't have to like. But you cannot deny that when Bungie split from Halo and Microsoft let them spread their wings and fly, 343 was formed and they took over the Halo franchise. The number of people that stayed with Halo through 343 from Bungie, plus the the, the their ability to shepherd and develop this new team's um, skills and understanding of the Halo franchise. There's no denying that, regardless of your love or hatred of Halos 4 and 5, that that team was still... The remaining core essence of the Halo franchise, because it's not only the people because the original 343 team is not only the people who were with Halo from back in the Bungie days, so they're inherently part of the core Halo franchise, but they're the people that loved working on Halo so much. That they gave up the opportunity to do something new, which you know, for creative people, that's a huge thing because every now and then you you got to spread your wings and do something different. You got to work on something new. You got to flex your creative muscles. So for this this core group of Bungie people that le- that that stayed that left Bungie and stayed with Halo through those years as they transitioned to three four three and they took on the Halo franchise, you got to understand that is the most core um, pod of Halo people. That is the most core identity uh, of halo developers and and shepherds there've ever been is that group of people that stayed and yeah we've seen people come and go through the years and you know it's not like 343 hasn't shed development talent in the past they absolutely have but what we're seeing you know leading up to the the final stretch of development for halo infinite and now this post just absolutely depressing state of affairs that 343 and Halo find themselves in. What we're seeing here with this mass exodus of all these key talent, I mean, listen, Frank O'Connor is a name that I've been just exposed to through Bungie boor, through through, through uh, Bungie.net and through Halo Development Diaries and 343 and Twitter and all this shit. I've been exposed to this man, this man who I will never know, his name. I've been exposed and in, in just constantly... Inundated with his with his name as well as other names, you know, like Joseph Staten and and Bonnie Ross and Tom French and, and names like this for so many years. To me, that like I see Frank O'Connor and I don't think generic first name with something Irish. I think Halo. I think Halo. That name means Halo to me. So it, it's just it's one of those things where it's like, how many of these names can we lose before it's like that's it? Halo, Halo is done. Halo is dead. Because listen, like we can have our personal agreements or disagreements about whether Halos 4 and 5 were good or whether Halo Infinite was the right direction you know I was pretty much a a 343 fanboy defender up until Halo Infinite and and I say that as someone who thinks Halo Infinite for all intents and purposes is a pretty good game it's a it's a really good game it looks great I don't prefer the new art style but I but I do like it Um, I, I hate the trying to whitewash the history of Halo 5 and everything but the new narrative I also really do like I think the campaign's really good. It has a lot of heart. It's a great direction for the franchise. The multiplayer feels really good. It's not my favorite, but it is really, really good. I like Halo Infinite a lot, but there's no denying that everything about Halo Infinite was a fucking plague on this team and this development, uh, or or this, uh, this, this studio and this franchise, because Halo Infinite was supposed to be the, we will bend the knee, we will return to form, we will make the game you want us to make. And they did all of that, And then all this shit happened, and now we have no campaign team. All these names—these Frank O'Connors, these Joseph Statens, these Bonnie Rosses—all these names—they're gone. So you go back to the ship of Theseus paradox, and we're we're talking about now. I don't know if three four three is the is the home of Halo. I don't know because I don't know who's left. And I, and and you know I'm not I don't I've, I've never worked at 343 so what the fuck do I know but I'm sure I'm sure there are still people who are there from the Bungie days I'm sure there are still people who are there from at least the early 343 days so they've had a handful of Halo games under their belt no doubt but what is, what is 343 at this point what is Halo at this point who is who is shepherding Halo let me ask who wrote the fucking Halo Bible? And who is making sure that that narrative and that that lore is being respected and honored and carried out? Because Phil Spencer made it clear that 343 is not going anywhere and Halo's not going anywhere. So who the fuck is in charge of shepherding this franchise? I, I gotta wonder. It's just everyone is gone. So like, what what is Halo anymore? And like, I know people were pissed when Halo 4 tried more of a Call of Duty approach to multiplayer and people were pissed when 343... Um, envisioned a much different art style for Halo 4 and 5, which, side note, that art style fucking rules. I, I know that upset people, and I can respect those opinions. But like now we're at the point where I'm like, okay, this is where this is where I draw the line. This is where I decide to say I don't even know if the core identity of the of the Halo developer exists anymore because they're just all gone. They were fired. They were put in a shitty work situation. They were mismanaged by upper management at Xbox and everyone quit or got fired or left or whatever the case may be. But it's it's over And that, like, that genuinely breaks my heart. Like, I've I've never been this Halo fan. Like, through the darkest days of Halo 5... I always kept positive, and I was like, I don't know what you guys are on about. Halo 5's a really freaking cool game. I understand there's some valid criticisms to be thrown at this game, but it's a really damn good game. Halo 4, I, 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 dude, when I rolled credits on Halo 4, I was just like, wow. I didn't know a Halo game could make me cry. That was fucking awesome. This game's great. This game's truly great. Did I love it as much as Halo 3? No, but it stuck with me, and it's a wonderful game that I love to this day. It's, and, but it's, we're finally at this point where now I'm like, I don't have a positive outlook on Halo. I don't even feel compelled to play season three. It's fine, by the way. The new maps, they're fine. One of them I don't care for so much. But the other two I like a lot. And and the new weapons, I, I never played enough to get a good feel for it. But like I don't have the energy to, to play Halo 5 or Halo Infinite anymore because it's just. It just makes me sad. I just feel like I feel like for the first time Halo's dead. And that sucks saying because it's such a trite fanboy obnoxiously overused YouTube comment for these like salty bring bungee back kind of fanboys of Halo 2 like to be like, eh, Halo's dead, Halo's over, Halo's dead but I, I'm i not saying this from the perspective of I'm unsatisfied with where the Halo franchise is at it must be dead, I'm saying this from the, the point of view of I, I'm just kind of at a loss for like who's leading this thing, who is still there to work on this thing what is the plan for this thing and from that perspective I'm saying Halo feel—it's not actually dead because they will make more Halo games and it will continue on. But it genuinely feels like to me for the first time that like Halo is dead, <laughs> and you know we're this year is all about Starfield. You know the the whole trajectory of Xbox's future right now hangs on the uh, in the in the fate of Starfield. So if Starfield comes out and it rocks the world socks the way the way Skyrim did back in twenty eleven, and it's this massive game where all the fucking God of War bros that had to shit on Xbox and buy a PS5 because God of War is so dope. Like, if those fucking guys get lumped, like, get forced into this, like, whoa, Starfield's awesome, you gotta play this. If if you get that crowd, and it's one of those water cooler moments, if it has, like, an Elden Ring or Hogwarts Legacy moment where it's, like, you just can't go anywhere without someone talking about how damn good Starfield is, I know it's a lot of pressure to put on a game, but this is one of those rare games where it has potential to be that game. If Starfield ends up being that experience it changes everything for xbox because what it proves to microsoft is these acquisitions worked we we bought our way into new ip and new developers that can help carry our console brand without master chief it's not to say master chief won't exist and halo is going away but it just means that you don't have to lean on master chief like like you like nintendo has to do with mario you know you can be a little bit more like PlayStation. Maybe, maybe put Master Chief on a shelf for a few years, or maybe make more Halo games. But it's just not the most important game you're working on right now because you got a Starfield two, or fucking maybe people are losing it for Avowed, or, or God forbid, Perfect Dark if that game ever comes out, or Fabled. It's just a lot of a lot of the future of Xbox is is hanging in the balance of what happens with Starfield, and um, it just feels like if that if that game does well. And then this Activision deal gets approved and they own Call of Duty and all that. It's like, yeah, wh- wh- where's that put Halo? I'm not I'm not trying to just be like a naysayer or or just a pessimist or anything. I'm, I'm genuinely asking, like, what does this mean for Halo? <laughs> Everyone that ever mattered that worked on the game is gone. And you fired the, the team that makes, you know, the story. And, um, yeah, I guess now you got all this new success with these other teams. Like, okay, buy Halo, I guess. They only put you on the back of the box when you buy the fucking... Console, but bye. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Like, I, I can't begrudge any of these people. Like, I, you got to assume for Frank O'Connor to have been with Bungie since 04 and to have made a deliberate decision to stay with 343 and not go with Bungie when they left Halo. And then to stay with Halo through all those tough years, you got to think about like those those OG 343, and I'll leave it at this, those OG 343 um, developers who stuck around after all the Halo 4 backlash, after all the Halo 5 backlash for years and years and years, after all this initial Halo Infinite backlash, those people that stuck with it through all of that. Y- you, don't, you don't have to agree with what these people did did or didn't do to Halo, but you can't tell me that like those people didn't have an undying love for this franchise to be able to put up with that bullshit day in and day out for nearly fucking 10, 15, 20 years. Th- that only means that these people were here because they loved Halo and they loved working on this and they loved creating this shit. And for all these people to be flocking now tells you something bad's happened. Like it's this is different. this is different than Halo 5. this is different than Bungie leaving the franchise. This is something completely new and again, that's why I bring up the the ship of Theseus paradox because I don't I don't know if the if the core identity of Halo's developer exists anymore and I don't know if it, I don't know if it can when every name we've ever recognized as Halo fans dating back to the mid2000s on Bungie.net, you know, chatting it up, we've seen all these names pop up all the time. With these guys gone, I d I don't know I don't know if a Halo even exists anymore, if if Halo is Halo anymore, I should say. So I know it sounds so incredibly dramatic and despondent, but as someone who absolutely loves Halo, you know, a large reason why I'm here podcasting every week about Xbox, you know, is Halo. As as someone like that, I, I just gotta say, like this this makes me feel a certain kind of way about <laughs> where we are with, with Halo, with Xbox's flagship product. Because at least when Halo 5 was bad. You know, I, it felt like, man, I just wish the world could appreciate this game the way I do because I think this game is really great. But with Halo Infinite, I don't feel that way. I feel like, yeah, man, everything's fucked. <laughs> everything, Halo Infinite's a pretty good game for all intents and purposes, but everything still feels fucked. And that's not how it felt with Halo 5 or when Bungie left Halo. That is not at all how it felt. So something has changed, and I, I just feel like the, the Halo team doesn't exist. But, oh, well. Hey, here's hoping, you know, here's hoping starfield does kick ass and that by the end of the year you know we're, we're not talking about all the things that went wrong and maybe 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 red are running at 60 fps by then and we're just talking about how damn good this year was for xbox especially in the latter half of the year when we get all these great games so who knows a lot of things can happen between now and then all right guys our last big story of the week and then we got a little wrap up uh another one that broke <laughs> right after the podcast went up last week so You may have already heard this news, in fact, you definitely have heard this news by now, but, well, now it's time to hear me talk about it, so, excuse me, give me the floor, I'm talking, please. VGC relays that Suicide Squad killed the Justice League has been delayed, but not like, delayed a couple months, like the game went gold and we needed a little little more polish time. It's been delayed until 2024. The game will now release on February 2nd, 2024. In a statement on Twitter, Rocksteady confirmed the game would be delayed almost an entire year from its planned May release date. Quote, We've made the tough but necessary decision to take the needed time to work on the game and get it to the best quality experience for players. It reads. Thank you to our amazing community and for the continued support, patience, and understanding. There's much to share in the months ahead as we look forward to seeing you in Metropolis next year. End quote. Earlier in the year, Bloomberg a source to Bloomberg uh, claimed that. Warner Bros. had decided to push the title from its currently May announced release date to the second half of 2023. Following that report, however, however Giant Bomb reporter Jeff Grubb said that a reliable source had told him that the game would not arrive until 2024. A 15-minute gameplay uh, demonstration shown during the PlayStation Live event on F- in February, their State of Play event, Confirmed that Suicide Squad would feature a battle pass, which Rockstar claimed would only contain cosmetic items, and showed its somewhat games-as-a-service type loot-grindy nature, which put a lot of people off. Definitely made a lot of people not super excited about what this game was. Okay, let me preface by saying this is a game I'm actually looking forward to, even despite the outrage and in the dis- disdain people have for what this game was shaping up to be. I was still excited for it, I was still looking forward to it, in fact, this is... This is one of my more anticipated twenty twenty three games. Actually, it was really this Redfall. Yeah, it was really this Redfall and Atomic Heart. So I don't don't ask me why I was so excited for this game, but I had high hopes for this game. I was really looking forward to playing it. So uh, that that yeah, that sucks. That it's been delayed till uh, February of next year, almost a full year. And so I guess where that puts us is, what are they doing to this game? Because the game was going to release, I mean, that game was supposed to release at the end of May, about a month from where we are. You know, they, they delayed this game about six about six weeks before it was supposed to come out. They delayed it t- by 10 months or nine months. Like, that's, that's unusual. You know, if a game gets a nine-month delay, it's because, you know, it's like we're like 10, 12 months away from the game coming out and things aren't coming together, and we got delayed another year. That that happens. Or the other thing that happens is a game is coming out in four weeks, um, uh, but it got delayed by another two to four weeks because we need that extra time to polish it and get it just ready for day one. Those two scenarios happen, but that 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 a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, that never happens. The game is supposed to come out in one month, and we are delaying it by almost a full year. That That's unheard of. Because, you know, again, as always, the disclaimer, I don't claim to know how game development works or what the industry is like. I don't work in it, not even remotely. I just absorb a lot of this shit, and therefore I've, I have some kind of inkling based on feeling and patterns and repetition of kind of how this works. But generally, when you're at this point in the game development cycle, the game is beyond finished. This game has been finished for over a year, mo- most likely. Generally, that's the case. The past year has mostly just been polishing and fine tuning and getting the game ready to be shipped this may so the fact that they're pushing it back a year is the that's the kind of delay you you give a game where it's like we still have like systems or levels or large aspects of the game that we need to like implement in here so it sounds to me like what they're going to do here is remove the battle pass system and try to make this more of a singular one and done narrative driven game i mean the multiplayer angle i think the multiplayer co-op goal is going to stay. I don't think you can take that out at this point, but they're going to try to D games as a service, fi this experience as much as possible, because the game has the loot grind element. It has the, The armor and ability and customization kind of thing that loot grindy games like Destiny have. It has the XP points popping out of enemies' faces as you shoot at them kind of thing. It's got the battle pass with the cosmetic items. It's got all those trappings. And so, my guess, this is all I can do is guess, is that they're going to take the next nine, 10 months, whatever it is, and, you know, February, yeah, yeah, the next nine months they're going to take and try and. D games as a service fi, this whole experience and make it more of a traditional, you know, co-op action game, whatever, but make it not about loot grinding and make it not about, you know, playing again and again and cosmetics and getting this and doing that and leveling up this system. And make it more of just like a a regular co-op action adventure superhero game, which I'm fine with that. It's just my, I guess my concern is that games are so big at this point in time, like at, at this, like where we are in gaming. Games are so ambitious and so big that these games are conceptualized and kind of locked into what they're going to be so early in development that you know, you know, relative to the timeline. You know, if a game's in development for three for eight years, I'm saying like this stuff's locked in, you know, by year like four <laughs> or by if at the latest maybe. Um, where it's just like. To change these aspects of the game, you got to be peeling off. Think of it like, um, oh, think about like a human body. As gross as that might sound, like you got to peel off the skin and the and, and the and the you know that that tissue that that flesh to get down you know, the vascular system and everything. You got to peel layers and layers and layers to get to the bones of the game. And your mechanics, your core mechanics, your core functionality, your gameplay loop—that's the bones. That's your foundation for your game. That's the whole premise to which your game is built off of so to try and tweak those aspects i'm not saying i'm against it i think you know they're responding to feedback and trying to make the game a little bit of what they want and a little bit of what the audience wants that's fine these things happen but it sounds like they need to peel back the layers and get to the core of the game get to get to that and to peel back that many layers fundamentally change the core and then put the layers back on top and reassemble the product Sounds like a massive undertaking that would take more than nine months, especially considering that this game has been in development in some form or fashion since, like, 2016. So, again, by the time this game finally comes out, it'll have been in development for almost a full decade. I mean, the last game, Batman Arkham Knight, that that game came out in 2015. And I know they did, like, a VR project or something since then, but, like, they haven't really done a game in, in a, almost a decade. And by the time this game comes out, it'll have been nine years since the last core game they put out and so i just feel like they they must have built so much over these years that to peel all these layers back change the core aspects and then reassemble the product back together in time for next february i can't help but feel like we're going to end up playing this finished product where it's like yeah this feels a little slapped together it feels like this should have been a games as a service game or this should have been like that or that should have been like that but instead it doesn't do this or like you know it doesn't have a loop grindy or a level system but it feels like it should but what is this and like it feels like the loop is i'm supposed to be trying to do this again and again and again trying to get better gear but i'm not doing that i'm just progressing through like a normal story i you see what i'm saying is like the philosophy of the game is already that's already baked that's already done it's already core central to the experience and so i don't know it's like i feel like maybe you'd be better off just saying yeah fuck it people are upset about what we built here but what we're going to do is just double down on it and make it so polished and so high quality and so good at what it does that when you play the game, you're going to go, yeah, I didn't want this to be a games as a service, but fuck, it feels good and plays great. and You can't argue with that. I feel like that's what they should be doing. But it sounds like instead what they're doing is trying to retroactively make it a game that it isn't and that – you know, while not the worst idea in the world, it's a little—it's a little tricky. It's a little risky, is all I'm saying. Because when you when you reassemble the product back together, and it's missing some of those core features, and it's different from what you originally designed it to be, the final product might feel a little hollow, or like this was meant to be that, or it seems like there should be more here than what's present. You know, it just—it just—it just might feel a little different. Is all you know. It's like if you build a mall. And then you build, like, the fucking anchor store where the Macy's or the Sears or whatever is supposed to go. But instead of putting in the Macy's or the Sears, you just put in a fucking brick wall that covers up the entrance of where that department store should be. And then you open up all your little trinket stores, your As Seen on TVs, your Orange Julius, your Hot Topic, all these little stores around it. And then you go to the mall and you're like, it feels like there's supposed to be something here, something bigger. It's this this other aspect that's just not here. Like, this is where this thing should be, but it's it's missing that. I know it's kind of a silly analogy, but that's that's kind of how this reads to me. Is it's like it feels like we're getting the game, but they're removing something that is core to the experience. Whether you like it or not, you know, that that games-as-a-service loot-grindy thing that's baked into the DNA of the game. That is what it is. So, I don't know. I still hope and have, you know, have, uh, have reasonable, a reasonable, like, steady feeling that this is going to be a pretty good game, but... I don't know. It's like Rocksteady is a a team that gets a lot of praise for just having super high-polished, fully realized games, and these decisions right here um, are decisions that don't seem like Rocksteady decisions. They scream reactionary and unpolished and a little unrefined, and I feel like I just don't see how this is going to be – I don't see how after almost a decade this game is going to top – the games that they made leading up to this. And that's not going to be a good look when this game's a trillion dollars from its development costs and has been in development since, you know, I was in the womb and things like that. It's just not, it's not a good look. I'm sure it will still make great money because it's a DC, Batman, Superman, Justice League type product. You know, it's going to make great money. But if you're Warner Bros., can you really, I I don't know, it's like, this is your one. It's like Rock City, you can't do this again. Next time, you got to have something better than this because we can't do nine years on a game again. I know we just made a billion fucking dollars from Harry Potter, but you know what? Those guys over at Avalanche, they managed to make that game in like five years. So no no more of this. No more delaying again and again. Because remember, Justice League Kill the... Su- uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has been delayed by a year or so in the past. This isn't the first time they delayed it by a year. So this is not a great look. Although I'm still confident this game's going to kind of kick ass and I'm still excited to play it. Um, I just... I don't know, I, kind of, I almost wish they just kind of stuck to their guns and said, fuck you, we're putting it out, and it's going to be great, and you'll you will understand why when you play it. Although, I could be wrong, maybe the game was actually just not coming together and not in great shape, and they genuinely needed a big delay to help get it there. That's possible, too. I could be completely misreading the whole thing, but nonetheless, I guess we'll be playing Rocksteady's Justice League Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Why can I not say that right today? We'll be playing it in, uh, in about a year or so. Eh, that's no complaint from me. You know, whatever. There's more than enough great games to play. But, man, that's surprising. Remember when we thought that Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad would come out within like two months of one another? And now they're coming out within like two years of one another. But anyway, we got a wrap up story here. Guys, from Xbox Wire. Update on our Game Pass games, games that are coming to the service, leaving the service. So available now, you got Minecraft Legends, and then coming soon over the coming days. Actually, some of these are out by the time you're listening. Coffee Talk Episode 2 is on Game Pass Day 1. Medieval Dynasty is coming to Xbox One for Game Pass. Homestead Arcana is coming to Cloud Console and PC on uh, Day 1 Game Pass on April 21st. And on April 26th, uh, uh, Cassette Beast is coming to PC Game Pass, Day 1 with Game Pass, and then uh, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle Special Edition comes to Cloud Console and PC on April 27th. Sticking with April 27th, The Last Case of Benedict Fox comes to Cloud Console as a Day 1 Game Pass title. And lastly, on May 2nd, available Day 1 with Game Pass, of course, Redfall comes to Cloud Console and PC. We're all very much looking forward to that, but also... What's going on with that frame rate, baby? That's unacceptable. 30 FPS? Why? Don't don't bill yourself as the most powerful console in the world if you can't get your fucking first-party games running at 60 FPS. That's, a, that's abysmal. All right. And then leaving Game Pass. Remember, we always lose games every month on Game Pass. So the following games will be leaving Game Pass on April 30th. So if you haven't played them, play them now or download them or purchase them at a discount before they are gone from the service the following games will be gone on the 30th it is bug snacks destroy all humans that's the remake uh, dragon quest builders 2 tetris effect connected and unsold those are some good games so you know if you haven't played them or you're looking forward to them make sure you give them a go that's gonna do it for all of our big news guys now let's move on into the important enough news Story is important enough to make the podcast but not important enough to warrant their own discussions we got a couple to rattle off here, starting with some Sega news. Sega's confirmed it has agreed to acquire Rovio for 706 million euro. The Yeah, the report was rumored last week, but now it's official. The Angry Birds developer, Rovio Entertainment, has been acquired by Sega, or they've announced plans to acquire it. The official press release says that Sega Sammy Holdings states plans to make a tender offer to acquire the ent- uh, the entirety of Rovio's at outstanding shares and options. This will cost Sega a total of 706 million euro or 776 US million US dollars. Notably lower than the one billion dollars reported by Wall Street Journal last weekend, the, acqui- uh, uh, the acquisition is considered fr- a friendly takeover as Sega states. Rovio's board of directors has agreed uh, to express support towards the tender offer, so they're buying them out of stock. Sega expects the closed deal to be the second quarter of fiscal year 2024, which would mean completed by this September for Sega. So, I know, I know, it's like kind of like a head scratcher. Why the hell would Sega buy the Angry Birds guys? I, I, don't, I, I really don't know on this one. I guess I'll just make a quick little commentary side note. I know mobile is a huge initiative for Sega. Like, thanks to mobile, Sega's made some of the most money it's ever made uh, in the past 10 years. So I know it's a huge initiative to them, and as they work on their Project Big Game or whatever it is, you know, mobile's probably a huge part of that initiative, and they think Rovio, one of the best-selling mobile game developers of all time, might be able to offer them some insight into that. Um, I can't I can't imagine the Angry Birds' IP is worth all that much anymore, Um, This is a developer that's kind of past its prime, so it's a lot of money to spend on a developer that doesn't have a whole lot going for them, but there must be some kind of behind-the-scenes insight into the business that they think they're going to get from this ownership, and that's my only guess as to why they would be acquiring Rovio, but yeah, nonetheless, it's happening. Sticking with Sega. Uh, Paramount has announced the cast for its upcoming Knuckles TV series on Paramount+. Plus. It's a spin-off of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie series that's been going on for a little while now. The already-known Idris Elba will be reprising, reprising his role as Knuckles, um, but Paramount has also confirmed via Variety that some live-action stars will also be appearing in the show. Adam Pally, who has played a police officer, Wade Whipple, in both movies, will return to star in the Knuckles show, and according to Paramount, a, uh, he will play a major role in the show. Um, so... I can't believe that show is actually happening. Kind of weird. Um, and one more Sega news before we move on. Oh, actually, no, we took that one off because that's PC only. Never mind. Scratch that part. <laughs> All right. Next up, let's. This is actually an interesting one. Maybe we should have put this earlier on the show. But uh, let's talk about Cliff Blazinski, the the father of Gears of War. From VGC, veteran video game designer Cliff Blazinski has said that he should uh, that fans should stay tuned for news on lawbreakers. Blazinski tweeted on Thursday last week that he'd got a text from a lawyer about the game, uh, developed by the now defunct developer Boskey Products and directed by Blazinski. Lawbreakers was released on August of 2017 to positive reviews. The game would shut down just one year later, however, citing low player count as the main issue. In the follow-up tweet, Blazinski expressed confusion as well as a swell of support. For his initial tweets as lawbreakers originally released, largely unsuccessful by commercial standards, um, but was commercially praised. Quote and confuses the hell out of me how people were rooting for this game to fail when they did not know that when it did when it did fail and now there's a ton of support for it. Gamers are weird, yo. (laughs) <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, the final tweet that he wrote following the news was that, quote, the team worked their asses off on this game. I relocated many people from other parts of the world for it, and the internet was like, har har, it doesn't have enough players. Meanwhile, the studio craters, and I had to deal with a year of crippling depression out of my guilt. In April 2018, eight months after the game's release, Bosky released a statement reading, the fact is lawbreakers failed to find enough of an audience to generate in the funds necessary to keep the sustained Uh, keep it sustained in the manner that they had originally planned and anticipated while the pivot to free to play may seem like an easier change to make the change of this magnitude takes publishing planning and resources to do it lawbreakers was taken offline in september of 2018 i only read all that just to give the context lawbreakers i actually never played it but the game actually looks really good and um i wish i paid attention to it i was aware of its existence when it happened but i just never gave it a chance and i always regretted not doing it after it shut down but yeah, so Cliff Blasinski, for those who don't don't know, uh, of Epic Games fame, he left around the time Fortnite was kind of happening. Uh, he's basically the father of Gears of War and Unreal Tournament and, th- and things like that. He, he's a core part of, of Epic Games, Unreal Engine, all these things. He's, he's a big player in the games industry, and um, this was like his last project he went on before kind of like unofficially retiring, uh, so to speak. But yeah, the dude's an absolute legend, and for him to be teasing something pertaining to Lawbreakers coming back in some way, I don't know if this is like some legacy version of the game that they can release on Steam where you can have, like host custom games and somehow keep the game playable and alive, or maybe they're somehow reviving the project, I have no clue. But it's uh, man, this would be so exciting if there was a way for this game to come back, because for people who did play the game, apparently this game was actually really fucking fran- frantic, frenetic. Badass, action-packed, really cool game, and it would be awesome to see it come back and to have this comeback story for Cliff, Cliffy B and his and his uh, and his team, who no doubt worked super hard on this game. So that that'd be a cool redemption story, and I'm I'm here for it. I hope it happens. Uh, continuing with Epic Games, Epic Games has acquired Brazil-based Horizon Chase and Wondrous Studios Aquarius. For an undisclosed sum of money, the studio, which Epic first invested in 2022, will be the foundation of the company's first Latin American-based uh, studio, Epic Games Brazil, founded in 2007, at headquarters in Porto Alegre. Aquarius is joining Epic to work on blockbuster Fortnite series. So, new support team for Fortnite. Next up, Hidet- Hidetaki Miyazaki has been named one of the most 100- one of the 100 most influential people of 2023 by Time Magazine. The From Software president has directed a string of highly influential games, including Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and most recently, of course, Elden Ring. He becomes only the second video game developer ever to be featured on the Time 100 list, following, of course, none other other than the legend Phil Spencer. No, I'm kidding. Shigeru Miyamoto back in 2007. The annual list, which notes people of influence from all walks of life, including politics, sports, and arts, uh, this year also features U.S. President Joe Biden, Elon Musk, and World Cup winner Lionel Messi. So... Mezzy? is Mezzy, isn't it? That's how you're supposed to say it? I've heard people say it before. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great award. These things warm my heart, and actually, let me just read the, second, the next story to go with it, because I put them in here for the same reason. So, first of all, congrats to Miyazaki. Second of all, second story that goes with this. The Super Mario Bros. theme song has been the first piece of video game music to be preserved in the Library of Congress. Since 2002, the library has been maintaining... The United States National Recording Registry, a list of sound recordings that are culturally historical and aesthetically significant and or inform or reflect life of the U.S. Every year, 25 pieces of music are selected to be added to the National Library Recording Registry, which means that they are preserved in the Library of Congress. This year, Koji... Kondo's main theme for Super Mario Bros is one of the 25 chosen songs, marking the first time a video game piece of music has been added to the registry. Other sound recordings chosen for the inclusion this year, Imagine by John Lennon, Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, and Take Me Home, Country Road by John Dever, an absolute legendary song. Take me home, Country Road, to the place I belong. Chicken Nuggets. <clears throat> and oh, also, Like a Virgin by Madonna, and All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, as well as Sweet Dreams are Made of This by Eurythmics. While the National Library already has a vast sound collection of nearly four million items, uh, the recordings selected by the Registry, of which are now total six hundred twenty-five, are considered so important that they must be permanently preserved. "Quote: These recordings are not necessarily selected as best recordings of all time, but rather as work. I love this. I like. I actually really like the way this is worded. But rather as works of endearing importance to American culture and hence." In need of permanent preservation by either a Library of Congress or another qualified institution, the Library of Congress explains. I love this. I love both of these for a similar reason because both of these are a rare example of of institutions, of longstanding institutions, validating and legitimizing gaming, which. You know, on the one hand, it's like, I don't, you know, we don't need Hollywood or the government or any of these entities, whatever, to be validating and trying, you know, our hobby. They haven't understood or respected video games for years. Why should we care? I I understand that point of view. But also, as someone who genuinely loves video games, video games are the art form, you know, aside from theme parks, it's it's the other medium of art that I love that I feel like is just critically misunderstood and underappreciated. You know, as someone who appreciates and loves this medium... I want to see it be validated and taken seriously, not because I want people who never understood why I love video games so much to be like, "Oh, wow, there's something to this," but rather because it's like I have so much respect for this industry, for the people that have so much passion and put their lives on the line and do everything to make these games and and to bring these experiences to us as players. That it breaks my heart that you know, like some of the most bullshit pandering like lame ass movies of all time can get like all the fame and praise in the world and director this and screenwriter award that and all this shit all this praise and and just acknowledgement and desire to preserve and understand and celebrate certain things and that's not to shit on movies there are plenty of great movies that deserve to be celebrated and cherished and preserved but it just drives me nuts that we have this arbitrary unit of measurement where like we care about we care about movies. We pretend to care about books because books make you feel like you're a smart person, even though, let's be honest, no one reads. In in these kinds of sentiments and feelings I think we can all relate with. But video games just don't get that level of respect and appreciation, which is it's it's so laughable to me because it's the same way I feel about theme park attractions as well. It's like it's the ultimate it's the ultimate culmination of all the major art disciplines coming together to create cohesion and harmony, which is such an insanely impossible task. Like, task, like you think about like a painting, it's like there are lots of art disciplines that can go into making a beautiful painting, and it's impressive, no doubt, and I'm not trying to underplay the significance of, of good painting, good art, you know, physical art like that, but it's something ultimately that one person can do, um, same thing, you know, one person can make a video game, don't get me wrong, and they have. But you see that same kind of thing with like music. It's like a single person or a group, a small group of people, can make incredible music together. And that's not to underplay the significance of great songwriting. But there's something that is extra impressive and special about video games to me, where it's like it takes math, like it takes math people, it takes computer people, it takes artistic people, it takes sound designers, it takes storyboarders, it takes artists, it takes. All these different talents, all these different artistic disciplines, and and no doubt movies does it. Movies do it as well. You know, writers, um, producers, actors, uh, artists, set designers, wardrobe, all that stuff. No doubt movies do it as well. But I think video games take it to an even higher degree because it's all of those things movies implement and then some, and it's just it's so impressive to see that you can take all these ideas, all these disciplines, all these varied people and put them in a room together and with proper management and vision and shepherding create this unified product that, that, that just melds all these arts and all these disciplines together to create something special. And so to see video games kind of get their due in some way to appreciate that iconic music in Mario, that is, that is a part of, you know, despite being a Japanese video game and composed by a Japanese uh, composer in Japan for, you know, a game that ultimately really isn't American at all, but then to have that, the impact of Mario be so prominent and present all around the globe, and in places like the US, become a part of our cultural foundation, or not foundation, but, you know, our cultural fabric, Uh it's awesome, because it's, it's, we're celebrating this thing that is so, you know, so, so endemic, so core to this medium that we all love, and by recognizing, you know, great game directors and, and such, like Miyazaki, we we're, we're, Legitimizing and validating people who, who do pursue their lives and, and and lead teams of people into this pursuit to create amazing art and to create create amazing games, and we're acknowledging for the first time that like, hey, that's that's something to be, that's something to admire, that's something to respect and to and to think about, you know, like I, I, I yearn for a world where we can look at video games and admire and appreciate them and think about them like critically and scholarly in the way that we do great literary works or great films or whatever like that. Uh, it just, it breaks my heart that it's like it's this thing that like we all know why gaming is great. You know, maybe sometimes it is just dumb fun, but we also know that it is an art form. It has an emotional resonance. It's something that connects with us. You wouldn't be in your 30s or 40s playing video games every week if it weren't for the fact that it, it resonates with you. It means something to you. And I think that's there's something really special about that. And if we could only get the world to understand and appreciate that more, maybe we would encourage more people to embrace gaming and for it to be more normalized for people to play games and for our society to respect and encourage game development and gaming careers. And I don't know, there's I, obviously, you know, for, I assume a lot of people listen to this podcast know this, you know, if growing up, we all had parents or grandparents or someone extended or somewhat related or in our vicinity who just could never understand why do you play games or, you know, like that stupid, still lingering attitude that, that people have like fucking, uh, Joe Rogan was in the news like a year or two ago for for this shit, being like, oh, just at a certain age, you just it's kind of embarrassing. You shouldn't be playing video games. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. How can you be on one side of your mouth talking about, like, excellent movies and saying people need to read more and on the other side of your mouth be saying, like, y- y- past a certain age, you shouldn't be playing video games anymore? It's like if people find connection and emotion and artistic value – and a sense of like belonging and some kind of something you can extract from it. There's some some form of value you can extract out of something like gaming. It's like, who are you to say who it's for or when when it's appropriate to engage in this activity or not? Like I I have been emotionally moved and impacted by games way more often than I have in movies. And I say this I, listen, man, I just watched a movie this past week that was like beautiful. Fucking shout out to Suzumi. Fucking amazing movie. Go watch it. Cry your eyes out. But more often than not the 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 artistic experiences that i've i've had in my life that have left like a lifelong impact on me and just made me appreciate gaming so much have been or or made me appreciate so much or have been have been my favorite games i've played or been like my favorite theme park attractions i've experienced and i understand to a lot of people that's not legitimate or valid but it's fucking stupid like why well, i don't know why can't why why can't miyamoto get a fucking Time achieve lifetime achievement for fucking the Super Mario Brothers franchise, and why can't why can't Joe Rody get the Time 100 Most Influential People Award for his creation and vision of Disney's Animal Kingdom Resort from the Walt Disney World Resort opened in 1998? Shout out to the 25th anniversary of Animal Kingdom this this upcoming Saturday. But anyway, all joking aside, I, the, the last part was a joke. The whole thing was serious. The last part was a joke. But uh, all joking aside. I do, I, I feel strongly about this. It's something I care about a great deal and it, it, it warms my heart. It makes me very happy to see this kind of legitimized because, you know, I I, I grew up surrounded by adults that made it seem like it, there was something wrong with me that I played video games all the time. That's not a slight against like my parents or my family or anything. It's just in general, that's the world, you know, the fucking politicians on TV, your peers at school or church or whatever. It's everywhere you go. There's something wrong about, you know, it's still to this day. I, I get looks like why you're almost 30. Why are you playing? Why? Why, why you spend your weekend playing video games? dude, fuck you, you're missing out, that's all I can say, you're sitting there, you're watching Love is Blind Season 4 on Netflix all weekend with your boo, you're missing out, dude, Go, go, go download Game Pass, download Game Pass on your PlayStation 5, and play some Emerald Be The Show, Emerald Be The Show, all right, I don't know what I'm saying anymore, so we're gonna end it there, guys, thank you so much for listening to Xbox On, uh, no, actually, that's not exactly right, we have comments, we're gonna round out, so that's it for all the news this week, let's round out with some comments, um, Ah, you know how it works. You go over to YouTube.com. you Xbox On Podcast. Click on the latest episode. Subscribe while you're there. Leave a like. Leave a five-star review. If you're going to leave anything less than a five-star review, don't do it. You have two options, as far as I see it. If you feel an impulse to leave a review on the show, you can go on there. Give me a five, five, five tar or five-star iTunes YouTube Classic Diagram. What what are the other services? Stitcher. That's it. Stitcher. Five-star review. Do that. Or your other option... Become a drug addict. That's your other option because I'd rather you do that than leave me four, three, God forbid, two stars. So anyway, youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode and drop a comment. You can say anything you want to say. Say something nice. Say something mean. Say something in between. But nonetheless, we have three comments this week that we're going to jump into right now. And uh, Starting with Mike Clark, first-time commenter. Mike, thank you for writing in. And uh, regarding, I guess, my kind of shitting on Nintendo last week, says, hey, don't worry, man. Nintendo will always welcome you back with open arms. Zelda, the Tears of the kingdom, is going to be S tier. And I said, I hope so. To which you said, it will be. Get a pro controller, lol. Enjoy the show, or enjoy the show, subbed, and looking forward to the next one. Try to catch it live next time. Listen, uh, oh, the show's not live. I don't know. It goes live on Thursdays, but I don't record it or do it live. But anyway, Mike, thank you for writing in. I appreciate you. Thank you for your comment and thank you for supporting the show. I, I hope you continue to enjoy. And I uh, appreciate your feedback. Uh, dude, honestly, I, I I still listen, I still love Nintendo. I still respect Nintendo. They're just so fun to they're fun to beat up on, is all I'm saying. In a lot of ways, I've grown past Nintendo, but I still love them. I'll still always have a soft spot. And as a just a little FYI, I do have a Pro Controller, but when we play co op, my girlfriend gets the Pro Controller. I use the Joy-Cons. And therefore, I stand by what I said last week. Fuck the Joy-Cons, they suck. But thank you for writing in, and I hope you have a great week. All right, next up, Mr. Malg writes in and says, I'm being a bad boy, and I'm buying Zelda... Why are you all writing in about Zelda? I'm, I'm being a bad boy, and I'm buying Zelda Tears of the Fallen Kingdom. Or Tears of the Kingdom. I always want to call it Fallen Kingdom. It's not a Jurassic Park movie. I'm buying Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Special Edition Switch. I agree with your thoughts on Mario movie. I knew it would be, uh, it would be as pleasantly... I knew what it would be, and I was pleasantly surprised that I liked it, especially the humor and Easter eggs. Overall, the Sonic movie uh, is better overall. Hell yeah. Uh, Also, nothing wrong with live action for those of you, but yeah, for Minecraft, maybe it's a typo or something, because I'm not sure how the hell they'll do a live action with 16 by 16 pixels. I'll tell you how. CG, baby. The Minecrafts are in the real world. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I have uh, no expectation of the Minecraft movie, especially because it's been rebooted so many times. Who, kn- who knows if we'll ever actually get it. But listen, man, I'm glad a lot of people people loving that Mario movie, dude. Peaches, I hear that Peaches song all the time. Peaches, 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 baby. I mean, everyone's talking about them peaches, and everybody loves that movie. And I'm glad everyone's having a good old time. It's a fun movie. Make sure you Make sure you see it with kids, because then you'll be able to see the joy in their eyes as they are not bearded, beer-belly, jaded 40-year-old men complaining about how they destroyed your childhood by making peach woke. Wait, peach can do the obstacle course woke. (laughs) All right. Our final comment of the week comes from none other than my brother Cronky, who writes in and says, Arcane has the best, or has been the definitive goat of the industry since Dishonored 1 came out. When Prey happened, they basically just stomped all over the other AAA developers. Uh, When Deathloop came out, they took a dookie on the competition. Honestly, I haven't been super excited for Redfall since it was announced. It looks like they're they're giving up on their amazing art uh, for something that will actually attract the masses. It's like if Picasso switched to basic landscapes so he could make a quick buck. So it being 30 FPS, it just kind of continues the fall from grace that I'm envisioning for them, or that I envision. You can speak to it way more than I have, because you've played every arcane game. I have dabbled in Dishonored One, I have dabbled in Deathloop, and that is about it. Oh, I played that god-awful Wolfenstein spin-off that they did that I hate. Um but yes, I I I have a I have a desire to like Arcane, but I just it's never happened. I like Deathloop, and I know I would like it if I played more of it. I want to like Prey, I've just never played it. But I want to play that that version of Prey. Um, i got to be honest, I disagree with you so much. Or maybe maybe this is more to your point, is that I'm just a part of the masses and that's why it works. But I think, listen, 30-60 FPS argument aside, I think Deathloop looks so good. Deathloop looks awesome. I can't wait to play Deathloop. I'm really, really grateful that this game is happening. That's coming out. I think it's uh, probably the most promising looking new idea we have kind of coming out in the first party right now when you look at like what the first party has been the past couple of years for all the major brands like no no doubt I love Halo Infinite but you know it's another Halo game and you know I'm sure God of War Ragnarok's phenomenal but it's another God of War game and Horizon was another Horizon game and Nintendo made probably another fucking Luigi game or Kirby game or some shit like that and it sold probably 20 million copies um regardless of the fact Redfall is a cool I mean obviously you know it started out as a third as a third-party game. It was going to be on everything. But as a first-party title, as something for Xbox to tout as like an original new idea, hey, that that's, that's something cool for Xbox. And I, I think as something new and refreshing for the brand, I think this is about as cool-looking as it can get. You got vampires, you got monsters, it's got that Forever Halloween aesthetic I love so much. It's got a little bit of that Left 4 Dead energy I love so much. Although, from what we understand, the gameplay is more like Far Cry, which is another game series I fucking love. I refuse to watch a lot of this review or a lot of this footage out there right now, so I don't really don't know still to this day what the moment to moment of Redfall really looks and feels like. But that has me even more excited because what we have seen in the game has me just so incredibly interested, and I I really truly think this game is going to be awesome. And maybe that does make me a little bit of a, a part of the masses, you know, that easy to cater to crowd, as opposed to the uh, the more cool crowd that appreciated their more artistic offerings like Dishonored or Prey, but. Man, oh man, I I don't care. I'm so excited to play this game, and I can't, I can't, I can't wait for it. It's it's part of why I'm, I was so pissed last week about the 30 FPS thing, because it's like just just don't fuck this game up, please. Just get it right. I'll wait an extra couple months. Just 60 FPS, please, for love of God. Just let me love Redfall. Let me, dude. It's 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 a twitchy shooter game. It's got it's got to be 60 FPS. We can't do 30 FPS on an experience like that. It's just inexcusable. And if Xbox is going to do this, if we're going to start doing 30 FPS on the Series X for your first-party titles, just do me a favor. It's fine. I'll live with it. Stop advertising your consoles like they're these like n- groundbreaking, most powerful console ever made. It's annoying. Because you're fucking not. Because if Sony's got all their first-party games run at 60 FPS, no questions asked, and you can't fucking make it happen, then you're not the most powerful console anymore. Because clearly it's about how you're using the power, and you don't know how to use it. So... Either get that right or stop bragging about being uh, being a powerful box and, and keep your teraflops to yourself. Because Redfall Redfall just looks too good of a game to to fuck it up with something as stupid as not having 60 FPS there out the gate. It's just the game looks just way too damn cool. But teach your own, agree to disagree. Uh, c'est la vie, mon ami. Chicken wing. All the things. All the French sayings, guys. that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Xbox on. I know the news has been slow lately. I know there's been a lot of unfortunate news. But as a man who doesn't make the news at all, what do you want me to do about it? Deal with it. Hopefully we'll get some really positive, exciting, good news soon. I feel like we're we're getting close to like something big happening. I know it's been a little slow lately. we got, obviously, some big summer news coming in early June. So we're about a little over a month out from some really big Xbox news. But aside from that, I I, I do feel like there's going to be something... I can just feel it deep in my bones that in the next week or two, we're going to get some exciting news. Stay tuned. I'm making that up. I'm just trying to will it into existence. But thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you all have a great week. And, uh, you know, take care. Eat good food. Play games that you love. Don't let people judge you if you're in your 40s and you're playing video games. Whatever brings you happiness. Hey, you're not out there in the streets fucking beating up kids and taking milk money and shit like that. So, You're not harming nobody, enjoy your games. Unless you're playing laser suit Larry, in which case, all I gotta say is, God sees you. Empower your dreams.